Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm Carly Jones from My Living Room. Each week, we will discuss what is happening in herpes culture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you were thinking. Then listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on our podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. This is episode five. Uh, which may sound weird to most people because if you're looking at our podcast, it jumps from episode three to episode five. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but let's just say episode four did not go as planned in many, many different ways. I do want to say, and like I said on the, on the Facebook page, a huge shout out to Cody and Pia Barlini. They were our guests for episode four. It did happen. Um, but then because of technical difficulties such as my voice is nowhere on the recording. You get these weird laps in talking, and then Carly just comes in talking to herself randomly. So uh, every every podcast has that one lost episode, though, and this our ours happened to just be the fourth one. Yeah, we got we're done. We got knocked out of the way. We're good from now on. Technology yeah. will never mess up again. Hopefully, um, uh, yeah. My connection should be good this time, so we should be okay. Yeah. yeah so my audio didn't record. Didn't find that out until late till. After four hours of talking to Cody, because if you've ever heard Cody on any other podcast, it's about four hours. And then somewhere around hour three, Carly disappeared and died. Uh, I didn't hear from her until the very next day. And then it, said, it was, it just kept adding on and on. But yeah. we are here now. Episode we're going to hit you hard with this one. It's, it's going to be, going to be great. So our guest this week is Sean Gray from Herps reptile shows. I know Sean because I do the reptile shows. Carly, you don't know because you live up there in the frozen north and you don't get to enjoy these shows. But welcome, Sean. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, guys. So if you've see, you've been on a couple other podcasts. I know you were on Joe and Melissa's podcast. Yeah. And so if anybody wants to hear a big long interview with Sean, that's the one to go listen to. And then you were on Snakes and the Fat Man, right? Yep. Because you are a sponsor for that podcast. Yes, I'm a sponsor for Snakes and the Fat Man. So I know you were on there. So again, if anybody wants to hear about Sean, go there. Because today we're just going to get basically Sean's input and opinions on our topics. And a lot of it has to do with shows. Go figure. Because I knew Sean was coming on, so I kind of aimed it that way. Let's go ahead. And before we get into that, and before we get into talking to Sean about reptile shows, I do want to hit back on the Facebook page and maybe cover a couple things that were mentioned in episode four that none of y'all heard about because it did happen. So, Carly, on the uh, Facebook page, you had a poll about bioactive enclosures. Yeah. Do you have that? I have, have this. I don't I have, have it pulled up, but um, I do have, I do know what it was. Yeah. It was about mites or other ectoparasites in a bioactive setup. Let me pull it up here. I didn't have my screenshots ready. But it was, it was about having, okay. First off, mites. If anybody is listening that has never dealt with mites, congratulations. You're the like five people on earth that have never had to deal with mites. I haven't yet, but I know it's, it's probably coming. That's, it's because you own like four snakes <laughs> yeah. and you did it the right way and you didn't just start grabbing random snakes from people off Craigslist. 
Um, I, I can say this because I've done that. So when did you get, when did you first get mites? Was it within I've only ever got, I've only ever gotten it once. I, uh, so I had a rainbow boa and my second snake was a red tail boa or a common boa for people that get upset. But I had a red tail boa and I, and I decided to move it into the dorms with me in college, which if you are listening, don't move your snake into the dorms. One, no matter where you go to school, it's against the rules. And so I'll go ahead and be the adult here and say, don't do that. Two, it's the only time I ever got mites, which is weird because if you don't know, mites are like species or at least animal specific. So like snake mites only really affect snakes. Like, so mites that a rat might get or a bird might get don't really affect snakes, but I kept getting snake mites in my dorm and I would treat it with all the stuff and I'd spray it and clean and give it a week and a half later and snake mites again. Uh, so I treated it one last time and I sent the snake back home with my parents for the next couple of years while I was living in the dorms until I moved out into an apartment. And then since then, I haven't had that problem. I haven't had mites, but. And there, it, there wasn't mites at your parents' place. Like the snake didn't bring the mites with it. It was, no, it was no, just. I, yeah, I cleaned, I cleaned, uh, cleaned them up really well before I sent them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I treated them and then I sent it home and yeah, they never had an issue with mites. Mm-hmm. They suck. Sean, have you had mites? Um, on a couple of snakes we took into the rescue, yeah. Um, and it was they were they were quarantined, obviously, but uh, yeah, it's a pain in the butt because you you think that they're gone, and then you know a couple of weeks later they'll pop up. So yeah, we we took to get a couple of ball pythons that had them pretty bad in a boa. Mm. Yeah, it's and your question, Carly, on the Facebook page was more aimed at mites in a bioactive setup. Yeah, and like I don't know, I really hope <laughs> I hope if there is. A possibility for a keeper to never encounter mites. I hope I'm that one, but <laughs> it uh, my day may be coming. But so my question was uh, for keepers who have delved into the world of bioactive enclosures, have mites or any other ectoparasites been introduced into an established vivarium? How did you counteract the pests? Did you have to scrap years of work or did you experiment with predatory arthropods? Let's see. Well, it was pretty lopsided. I think most of the people either A, hadn't done bioactive mm-hmm. or B, hadn't had mites yet. Fingers so, crossed. Did you see the response that Jake Hansen posted? That, that's the one that did, right? Yes. Yes. yes okay. I did see that. Yep. So he says, um, I once had a mite outbreak in a bioactive enclosure and I didn't have any new snakes coming in or anyone else visit my snake room. So my theory is the vector for the mites was some leaves I had recently harvested from a local park. So he ordered predatory mites and they, he, <laughs> he quote unquote, they fucked up the snake mites. They took a a little bit of a toll on the population of spring cells as well, but eventually the predator mites died out and things went back to normal. That's uh, comforting to know. I mean, you know. I, I didn't know predatory mites were a thing until recently. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, mean I, it makes sense, but I I guess the problem is in the reptile community, you hear the word mites no matter what it is, and it has a negative connotation, so predatory mites mm-hmm. are interesting. You see a lot You see a lot of those the, the wood mites, too, if you get Betting from commercial hardware stores and things like that, uh, those aren't going to be the same mites that are, that will you know feed off the blood of your snakes or anything like that. But they're kind of annoying, um, so I could see where the predatory mites would come in to help like clean your substrate too. You know, that'd be a pretty cool deal to do a study on. Well, and even too, wouldn't uh, if you remove the snake from the environment, wouldn't eventually the mites? I mean, if you treated the animal in a different, separate, completely different enclosure, wouldn't the mites in the enclosure die out anyway? Because don't they like that's that's what they have to feed on? 
they mm-hmm. would, but I think that the time it would take yeah. would be really long. Really? Uh, yeah. It takes a while to get, if you don't treat them. I mean, treating it's pretty easy. Uh, you can buy, uh, Provenamite, that stuff. You, you get a buy. mite, you treat your snake and you throw everything else away. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, I meant like the setup. Like, no, I mean, you're talking about like a bioactive setup. Like true yeah. bioactive setup. And that's something that, like you said, if you, the predatory mites are probably the quickest and easiest way to do it. But I don't, I'm not sure what the, what the whole lifespan of a, of a, you know, of a, of a, an actual mite is a, a bad mite, but um, we've seen it, like I said, in, the, in the, like the wood mites and, and things like that, and they just they just die off. Uh, yeah. Don't see them anymore. But I, I don't know how long that would take in a true bioactive setup. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know if mites are as big a deal anymore. I know that for a long time they were a huge deal, but you don't hear as many people having mite problems anymore. I mean, it still happens. But I remember, like, when I first got into snakes, it was almost a guarantee, like, something was going to have mites. It's still almost a guarantee. If you have snakes, you're eventually going to get mites. It's something that, it's kind of taboo to talk about in in a lot of circles, but every single big breeder has had them in their collection. Um, uh, It's easily spread, especially going to shows, which we're talking about shows, that's something, you know, that we could cover, but it's just almost impossible not to get them. And there's so many different products out there that claim to take care of it. You know, it's hard for me to dip a snake in poison. You know, it's really hard to do that. So. Yeah. It's, it's, there's always the, like preventamides is the one that's made for mites. And then some people use, uh, uh, what is it? Like hair lice. Yeah. Hair lice. Uh, you dilute that or you're supposed to be able to like wipe your snake down or some people use frontline, the the frontline spray. Same thing. Some people just use Dawn. I know I've seen a couple, just because I've researched how some people uh, counteract and some people just use, use, I mean, you know. Dawn's probably the safest of all of them. Yeah, and then there's the the all-natural stuff. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's a reptile basic product. It's uh, like big box stores sell. And and people have had mixed results with that too. But you'll see a lot of vendors that can't come in. And spray Pam all over the preventamite. They spray it all over their tables before they even put their cover on. You know. Yeah, it's a nightmare when you get them because I mean they they fit into the smallest nooks and crannies. And like Sean said, if you get them into an enclosure, if it's bioactive and it's truly all set up, then that's a different situation. But if you uh you just have them in a cage and have like a wooden branch for them to climb on, just that you're better off throwing that stuff away, spraying everything down, putting paper towels down for a while, and and watching. I mean it's. They fit, they literally go everywhere. So, what if you, it, it, it's just safer just to throw everything away and not try to salvage it? Like, would you guys ever try experimenting with like freezing it or, cause I live in pretty much tundra environment. Like, what if I threw it in my shed for four months out of the year? There's a lot of people that do that with everything they pick up from like wood. Type that, that people pick up off the side of the road or driftwood or whatever anybody wants to use. There's a lot of people that freeze it. Leaves, leaves, instead of putting them in the oven and burning your house down, you could, <laughs> like magnolia, I collect magnolia leaves around here and freeze them for 48 hours. Have you guys ever seen um, people, because you know, some people, like like you just said, bake their leaves and, and mm-hmm. branches and stuff. Have you ever seen people baking rocks? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, like rocks will like yeah. 
Oh, James, did you freeze? Oh, no, you're just... <laughs> just not just listening intently. Yeah, the whole baking rock thing. And, and it's funny because, you know, our, our reptiles live in the wild and there's parasites and bugs and everything all around them and, you know, things like that. I know you don't want to get contamination from you're picking up other insects, but think about, like, the funny thing that we're talking about bioactive is when I was, I don't know, eight, not that's a long time ago, eight, nine years old, we would go collect roly polies, um, pill bugs, or whatever you want to call them. And that's what we used to clean our setups when we were, you know, kids. That's, you know, 30 plus years ago. And, and now people pay a lot of money to do that. Yeah, now people are paying a lot of money to do that. We talk about how things are like cyclical in this hobby. That's it's so Absolutely. I've never heard that before. I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't oh, yeah. know. Yeah, I was. I started breeding green anoles when I was like eight or nine, like just regular green anoles. And um, the the tanks that we were, they were like wood and screen. They were, you know, thrown together. But yeah, we just pick up dirt out of the yard and throw some leaves in there and stack some bricks up in there for them and throw handfuls of roly polies in there, which are isopods. They're the same thing. And that's that was our cleaning crew. That's so there you go, folks. So, so that was our mite. That was our mite issue. One way you can tackle mites in a bioactive enclosure is to never get reptiles. You can always never get reptiles, <laughs> and then you won't get mites. It's out of the question. That is true. All right. Uh, so what? So the other thing I wanted to bring up was the question I posted today, or not today. I posted a few days ago. It was, what are some things you like or dislike about Reptile Expos, and what is something you would change about Reptile Expos? Because I, I kind of knew that we were having a Reptile Expo person on. So I figured I'd aim it at that. And, and I knew, I kind of knew the responses I would get. And, and then as I read them, I realized how spoiled I am at the fact that I pretty much only do herp shows. Because as we go over the issues that people have with reptile shows, and this is not, I, I promise as we go through and I'm uh, telling you how amazing Sean is, it's not because he's on here. Uh, it's truly because everything he does show-wise is awesome. You, you've sung his phrases before. Like, everyone everyone has. Yeah. I, I literally have not heard anybody say anything bad about a Herp show. I'm blushing. You should. So um, how, how long have, um, like how many shows have you done then? Oh, well, um, oh, I guess this is for James, but you, you too, Sean, I guess. I'm sorry. Like, I was wondering how many he's done. I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's not a ton. I'm about to. This year, we'll, I'll start picking up. I'm going to do a lot more, but it's probably 10 or so. I do all the Louisiana show. Well, I'll take it back. I'm doing New Orleans this coming up weekend for the first time. Yes. But, uh, I've done several. You've only been doing shows though for like two or three years now, right? Me? Yeah. Like, you've only been doing the Herbs show. Six years. Is it six years? Six years. Yeah. How long was it just a I few was, shows? When did you really spread? Um, The first year, we only did three shows. We did two Conroe and one Austin. And then I think we went to nine or ten the next year. And then after that, it exploded. We went to 15 to 20. Now we're at 26. So. Holy hera. Yeah, you're in... It's, I look at the day. It's four different states, right? Colorado. Five. Five? Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Missouri, Colorado. That's right. Missouri, Oklahoma. Okay. Um, yeah, it's five different states and it's two shows a year except for Conroe. Conroe's three shows a year. Conroe's three shows a year because it, it demands to be three shows a year. The yeah. Bring clientele base and the vendors kind of demand that, you know. 
to go back to the question, I, I want to pull up some of the responses I had from it, things that people want to see. And, and there was some I knew that they were going to have. A lot of them, uh, I mean, can anybody guess what animal everybody's tired of seeing at Expos? It's ball pythons. It's always ball pythons. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I'm part of that group. I'm tired of seeing them too. But with that said, I will say, like, again, I'm spoiled. Your shows don't tend to have a million ball pythons. There's a lot. That's just because that makes it be bulk of the hobby right now. Yeah. And, but, and part, part of that is we know we're such tuned with our vendors that I've had vendors call me and say, hey, is this ball python guy going to be there? And they'll base their show schedule on who's doing what show because there may be 20 ball python vendors at Conroe, right? But 18 of those guys don't have any of the same stuff on their tables. Yeah. Everybody looks at ball python as a generalization. But if you look at the different morphs and, and the hats and the projects that are going on, everyone really does have kind of their own thing. You've got some people that just work with pies. You've got some people that work with all the new stuff. You've got some people that work with albinos. That, that that's what they main you know mainly work on. But none of us would be in the hobby probably if it wasn't for ball python, leopard gecko, or bearded dragon. Honestly, well, I mean the the ball pythons are the reason that we have I don't know ninety percent of the equipment we have now. It's true. I mean, racks and thermostats and everything. It's because of them. It's not because of blue beauty snakes or whatever it is. I mean, it's all pythons. It is. It is. And, and it's also like we were talking, you were talking about cyclical. Um, I've studied those trends because I was a leopard gecko breeder for so long and I could tell when the market was going to go up and down. Ball pythons don't really fit into that, that kind of typology because something new will come out and everybody's in a mad rush to try to, you know, the thing with ball pythons, Sean Bradley, um, most of you guys know Sean Bradley told me one time at a show, this was maybe eight, nine years ago, ball pythons, people are buying ball pythons are buying skin. It, and it's sad to say that, but really look at it. They're looking yeah. at skin color and pigmentation and pattern on the animal instead of the animal. So when most of it started when we were fresh, we were buying pets. Now the people are buying breeders. So there's two different kind of people there. There's going to be a lot of people that are people that are elitist. I call them elitist that, that probably started with ball pythons, but now they're on to other crazy things and they look down on people that with, with ball pythons. But like you said, the reason that we have all this innovation was because of the ball python breeders pushing the envelope. There's so many of them that something has to come out to accommodate those animals. That's why racks and thermostats, bedding. Nobody would have rough the chip if it wasn't for ball pythons. Because they're a humid, you know, snake. They need a little more humidity. So it's funny to see those comments and hear that stuff. But I have two ball pythons here that are both normals. One was my aunt's that was a rescue and one came from another person, you know. So most people have had them or have them. And, and you can respect those guys. Those guys are in a market that seems so saturated that they're always chasing the brand new thing. You know, they're, they're chasing that. Uh, when they get that, they get notoriety. Look at Kabilka. He's yeah. like, epitome of a ball python breeder right now you know but before it was the will guys and and you know it's yeah it's it's about how much money and but it still brings new it brings new people into our hobby people want to get a ball python as a pet they may start off five years from now they're breeding and they're producing new genes and things like that and learning more stuff so i don't ever look down on that and when people say that there's all ball pythons, it's because usually when you ask them what they're looking for, it's some off-the-wall crazy animal that, like a tuatara or something, like, <laughs> yeah, good luck. 
And so it's a ball python show. They're not looking at anything else. They're looking for negative. When yeah. you, James has been to our shows, you look around. We really do try to bring in a really big variety of people. We don't want too many ball python breeders, but our vendors work together well enough to know that if it's oversaturated, they'll just cut back on a couple of shows and we'll let somebody else come in with darts or chameleons or things like that. So we really work well together. And that's something that's, I don't ever see with any other shows right now. Well, and I, and I knew it was going to be one of the big things. And, and, and I was like, and don't get me wrong, I'm still like, I still make fun of all pythons all the time. But I, love all pythons. I, uh, I was there in Daytona in, in the heyday when, Every, literally every other table had ball pythons on it. And that was before the five million morphs we have now. There was only a handful then, but every other table. And, and I get it. it. It gets annoying as a person walking around looking and seeing nothing but ball pythons. That's why I can only make it through even the biggest show. I can get through Tinley the whole way through it in probably an hour. And then I'd go back to the tables I want to see, but cause I, I, I skip those tables. And the problem with that is sometimes those guys that have ball pythons because they pay the bills and they allow them to be able to buy more snakes. Also, every now and then have some pretty cool breeding projects and they'll be on the same table. And I've walked right past them before because I'll see a ball python and I'll walk right past the table. And then later on, someone's like, Hey, did you see this or that? And I'm like, what was that? There's a table I walked right past by because it had a ball python on it. And so I, I fall into that, but I do know that it's, it's it's part of what it is. Okay, and you know the people like I don't I haven't ever met anyone who's actually they actually mean it when you know they're jokingly like offhandedly offhandedly you know joking about oh there's so many ball pythons at this show but it's just like we're we're honestly like blessed that people actually like work up the gumption to put this thing together for all of us to come and meet because we're still honestly the minority. So you know what? Like this is still a really awesome thing that a bunch of reptile people can get together and trade and bend. And uh, I don't know. It's like, if you have such a problem with it, like, you know, there's, (laughs) there's sites where you can filter out ball pythons. Okay. Like it's, you're, you're arguing against the market. Like ball pythons make the money. They do. They bring in, they bring, like I said, they bring in, New customers, they bring in new hobbyists. New, there are, like I said, bearded dragons, leopard geckos, ball pythons. That's your top three that most parents know kind of about, even if they're not reptile people, but they've heard about it. So when their kid comes to the show, they're the easiest to care for. They're usually the most inexpensive and they're most well known. There's so many, there's so much information out there for people to learn about how to take care of them and keep their husbandry right. And so many people to talk about. That's why they, they bring more people in. That's why they're so popular with new people. Your, your price range on those is $20 to $100 on a, on a regular ball python for a pet. But then you've got the three to five to seven to $10,000 snakes, and those are breeders. You may not sell one of those at the show. People are going to them off. They're not for sale, or they're going to put a big, stupid number on them so that nobody buys it. Those are online sales. Those are trading between other breeders and things like that. So really the target demographic when you see a ball python breeder isn't your guy that wants to breed 10,000 snakes next year. In that $20 to $100 range, that's their bread and butter. And so the people that bring in a little variety of everything from, well, we don't see normals anymore, which is crazy, but, you know, like my sales and things like that. I mean, look at the banana. What was it, $1,500 like oh, years gee, ago? Yeah, you can go everywhere for like nothing. Yeah, so you see, and, and but that's the, that's the thing is people – will come in and buy those cheaper animals. They'll start learning about the genetics and see how, what goes into making those genetics. And then they'll be, they'll be breeders and customers for, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 years. 
I think at a show, if, if you're looking to truly sell ball pythons at a show, snakes in general, ball pythons at a show, your mark is $500 or less. $500 or less, and that's a pet. You know, a $500 ball python's an expensive pet, but people will still pay for it. It's oh, yeah. really cool with one. Yeah, we've seen it. Yeah, absolutely. They see something that you like. And so, like I said, that was the first complaint, and, and I knew it was coming. The other ones are where I really started to realize that I, I'm spoiled. Uh, mites, we talked about earlier. People are tired of seeing mites at shows. And I'm going to be honest. I know there's, they've got to get into your show at some point. Yeah, but, uh, I've seen them. But I don't see it. It's not like you see them in other places, but that's because of you. Well, it's and it's also because of the other vendors. The other vendors, if I, I can't see every animal, it's impossible, but I'll have a vendor. Actually, at Corpus, I had a customer that, that comes to every single Corpus show to me, me aside because I think he just, I don't think he wanted to make a big scene. He goes, but I saw something on one of these snakes over there. I go over there and sure enough, see it from where I'm standing. And I talk to the vendor and say, Hey, that's gotta be, that's gotta be yanked out, you know, figure it out. Like it's, it's obviously it's got them on there, but the, what the vendor did went above and beyond took everything out of that enclosure, put the enclosure back, put all those animals in that entire closure up and took that whole section off of his table. That's the kind of quality vendors that we're trying to get. Yeah. And that happened, like that's, that's due to a lot of, and I've talked about before, but the culture at your shows, um, I've done your shows and I've done some of, the other guys shows and, and I, other than maybe every now and then talking to the vendor that's next to me because I'm stuck next to them for two days. I don't really talk to other vendors. I don't know anybody else there, but like at your shows, it's a family. Like I look forward to the show next week because I'm going to get to see folks that I only get to see at your shows. Yeah. Uh, and it's that family thing that causes everybody to take pride in it. Also, we take pride in vending a hurt show because we say, Hey, we're going to make sure that there's not mites on a table, that animals aren't, you know, I always hear these nightmare stories people seeing dead animals on a table. I've seen it. Not at our show, but I've seen it at the show. And, and so, like I said, those are things that don't happen because there's a different level of care taken in vending your show versus some of the other shows. Well, and we, we have our issues, too. I mean, we have been yeah. this forever, and, and every once in a while, something gets a little squirrely, and, and we have to address that when it happens, but we address it and then we move on and we, you know, go on. We, we don't really dwell on it or make a big scene about it, but that's going to happen regardless at every show. Now my standards are higher because of that though. It's made us those issues that coming in our show even better. And hopefully it's put pressure on other people, other promoters to step their game up so that they kind of follow along that same path it's not hundred percent and there's obviously some issues with some of the other shows, but I think by making everyone be held accountable for what's on their table and, and we have true penalties. Like I've, I've removed vendors completely from, from our shows and they're never allowed back because they just wouldn't get it together and they didn't want to listen to what we were trying to do. And that's how it's, that's how it was in the beginning. And now it's, we're still not done. We still have, you know, we're growing, but everyone comes to me if they see an issue. Customers, yeah. vendors, they all know that they can come to me and I will go. Doesn't matter who it is. I've talked to some of the biggest breeders in the game about issues with their animals before. I'm still a human and, and we work together. You know, I don't, nobody, the vendors don't work for me. I work for the vendors and the customers. That's how I've always looked at this. It's not the opposite way. 
So it's my job to have the customers come in and have a good, clean, healthy, safe environment and have a lot of fun. And it's my job to make sure that the vendors have fun, but they make money. That's where the balance net comes in. So making sure that they're held accountable for their animal quality is something that I'm I'm always going to be prideful of. Well, you and you and I have talked about this before. And again, I'm not going to throw any names of anybody out there, but I and I've heard you talk about certain big names. And, and the reason I bring that up is because uh, I posted this over on Constrictors' Pets also. And Kate Matthews said that one thing they didn't like was these large sellers, I'm not going to say any names, but coming in and bringing in sick animals, but they're a big name. And a lot of these shows won't tell them no. One, they won't tell them no because their, their money works everywhere. So they're going to take their money, but they also want that name there. Whereas with you, you're more about the quality. And if they can't meet your standards, it doesn't matter who they are. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And, and We've had some of those big name companies try to contact us and come into our shows as we've gotten more popular and we flat out turned them down. Um, th- those, those are table sales to a, a promoter. And I'd rather have mom and pop next door come bend one table than have one of those guys have 10 tables, honestly. Yeah. And so I said, a lot of the issues people had were, were mites, like we talked about, and it's going to happen everywhere. We talked about it. It's, it's, it's going to happen. But if, it happens less in certain places if the show promoter cares more about making it happen less. Well, we uh, have to put pressure on those vendors to understand that we're not going to let it fly, not just a slap on the wrist to say, oh, just take care of that, no big deal. Like we want to, like I said, hold them accountable for their actions. You've seen some of my posts where I've gone off, and that's not directed at any one person, but it's just uh, it's just how we want to function as, as a company. Um, and I, you know, I say company, but we're like you said, we're more family than anything. We have too much fun to be called a company. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the vendors know that if, if there's an issue that, you know, I have to take care of it and I will take care of it. And so I hate to say it, I'm not trying to be disciplinarian or anything like that, but it is like that mentality. I want it to be, I want everybody, I want it to be contagious. I want that kind of mentality to be contagious with every single vendor that steps in our shows. And they understand that they're going to be held to a higher standard and a lot easier as we go along. It's, my job's gotten a lot easier as we've gone on, you know, looking at that stuff. Can I ask a quick question? Um, I know, I know, I, I can tell when James is, is kind of like gearing up to ask something. No, so I just want to jump in for it. Oh, Sean, are you coming to IHS at all this year in June? Or I, I'm sure your show, biz, show schedule is incredibly. Yes, yeah, this year. I'm uh, sorry? Where Where is it at this year? Uh, um, I go like this as if to like, um, it's in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, probably not. I don't think uh, June is. I have two shows in June. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I think it's June either June seventeenth or I'm getting that mixed up with there. There's a Venom Symposium in uh, September. It'd be I don't know. It'd just be cool to meet face to face one the, of these days. So. The, the Venom Symposium is near Sean. It's in Dallas, oh. right? The Houston Venom Conference is. Well, the Venom Symposium might be in Dallas, but the Houston Venom Conference is in May. We're sponsors for that. I'll definitely be there in Houston, but I think I know what you're talking about. I think there is one in Dallas. I just, the, if I'm on the road. This one is in San Antonio. Oh, San Antonio. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's only four hours away from me. Okay, cool. Sorry, I just I just wanted to ask us. Uh, we don't say, we don't say miles in Texas. We say <laughs> how far distance is uh, related to time. I lived in, um, how long have you lived in Texas? Oh, I'm born, I'm from here. I lived in, I'm from Houston area, but I live in Dallas now. 
okay. I lived in Hutto for a couple actually, of years. I'm actually looking at property in Hutto right now. Oh, really? I loved the town. Hutto, Elgin, Manor area. Uh, we're looking for uh, we're looking for some land out there, actually. Cool. So you said you're originally from Houston. That I, I wanted to get back because I keep saying Herps shows, but I never actually said what it means. So it's the Houston Exotic Reptile and Pet Show, which is Herps for short because exactly. it, it's easier to say. And for everyone out there, and, and no, I guess no one that's actually listening is one of those people, but Jesus Christ, we get it. It sounds like herpes. <laughs> Every time you make a post, there's at least some idiot that goes, seriously, the name looks like herpes. Well, you're an idiot. Well, we have shirts that actually say, I got my herps at the Herps New Orleans show. Uh, we yeah. wear those on Urban Street. I wore that as a crop top. I know the person. I can get you one, Carla. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to pay them. So. Um, anyway, what, what were you going well, to I was going to go back to to our, our question just because I wanted to mention a couple of people that talked about it. And some of them, they they go to Herp shows. And so, like, their comments, one person, uh, Robert Powers, said he wants for all of them to be like a Herp show. Uh, I know Robert. I've seen him at uh, Con- uh, Conroe a couple times. Yeah. Jason Brumley was upset about mites. And then, where did I see it? Oh, a lot of them don't like, and I know this is a touchy subject, but they don't like imports. And I guess there's a difference between doing it right and wrong. They don't like the ones who picked them up on Friday morning and then came and put them on your table Friday afternoon. Well, and that was how reptile shows were done back in the day. If yeah. You, a lot of those people that are doing that are either I'm not saying anybody anything bad about this, but they're either a little older, they've been around for a lot longer, or they were taught by someone who's been around the business for a long time. Um, and that was pretty common. I I mean I've been to shows where I've seen people come in, you know, <laughs> from Delta at a Saturday morning with a crate and not even knowing what they have and pop the lid and start pulling out bags and just dumping stuff out on the tables and writing prices on them and setting them out. Like I've seen that happen before. And the thing is, is that without imports, we wouldn't have any of the pets that we have in the hobby right now. So there's a lot of people that don't understand. They don't look at the history of the reptile business and the reptile community. They really don't understand it. They just see it as, Oh, imports are all sick and they're all, well, most, most animals in captivity that we have, that we keep exotic pets have parasites right now. I mean, I can go in my reptile room and I don't have thousands like I used to, but I can guarantee you that one or two of my animals has parasites. At least two out of the three of us has something too. Like everyone, like two out of three people have worms. (laughs) (laughs) It is, but I don't want the people coming in, getting that shipment in Thursday and Friday and coming to the show and unboxing it. There's no way to police that if you're not at that person's house though. Yeah, I'm going to look at the quality of the animal and it's hard. Some of these animals that come in, they look really good and some look really bad. I can usually tell the ones that are fresh or they're not thriving and those shouldn't be on the table. And if any vendor has an issue with that, then they can pack up their stuff and leave. That's just honestly how we approach it. Um, and I don't have that issue because if I sell, if I ask somebody to remove something, it's gone. But imports are, look at the chameleons right now. Imports are in, are helping the bloodlines with captive bred chameleons. I wish I could import leopard geckos. That was my thing back in the day. I have some F2, some wild stuff, but never, you know, fresh imports. But African fat tails come in all the time still. 
I don't know why people are still importing Python's except for they're trying to find the new, you know, the new thing. But African fat tails come in and here's the thing that people don't understand. We see color genetics, all these, all these, um, these morphs and things like that. All of those genes exist in the wild. It's not something that's man-made. Those genes had to be expressed prosigously in an animal that was brought over that was imported. So for all these people that are saying they don't like imports, I bet you they have several different different animals. So it's hypocritical for them. Um, and that's, again, going back to the history. Those genes exist in the wild. It's just a matter of matching up the right heterozygous genes or, you know, homozygous genes. Because some of that stuff comes in already that looks like morphs, you know. So, yeah. but imports can be done properly. They have to be treated when they come in and, and hydrated and fed and eating well. And there's a lot of really neat species that we have right now that are coming in. And I, and I understand conservation efforts, too. So I'm all for them shutting down those uh, those numbers if they have. To. That's another reason that we have such a good variety. A lot of people are bringing those imports in. We didn't know how to breed those 10 years ago. We're learning more. We're more educated on how to breed these animals. So we're actually producing some really cool captive animals from some imports that we weren't able to five ten years ago. Well, and I was kind of along with that and kind of like a voice of reason. Uh, one of the responses was from uh, Sean Michael. He said wholesale and importers need to at least treat for external parasites before they bring them there. And that's kind of what you talked about. You know, you can't treat for them if you got them on Thursday night and then you set up on Friday. Like it's just not happening. And they, I think there needs to be some transparency. Don't, don't sell something as captive bread if you know two weeks ago you got it in in a box from Africa. Like let, let the person at least know that there's, yeah. there's nothing wrong. There's, it, I think. There's a stigma, like you said, on it's wild caught or an import, but I feel like the person needs to know that. Maybe they need yeah. to know. Oh, I need maybe I need to treat for internal parasites. That could be a chance. If something doesn't eat, maybe it's because there's an internal parasite. Exactly, exactly, and that's something that we try to make sure that our vendors follow the guidelines. James saw a post about a guy that started the thread that said that a customer of a vendor was selling an animal that. He was claiming captive bred, but the customer knew it was wild caught. Well, the customer did not know it was wild caught. That guy bought it from a guy, another vendor who had had it for six years that said it was captive bred. So that vendor had to go off of what he was told from a, a really reliable other vendor that he bought it from. But that stigma exists because some people don't. The, the funny thing is, I was talking about breeding this stuff that's important. There's a lot of people. Like I know personally have produced some crazy animals that you only see as imports normally and people don't believe them that they're captive. And these people, yeah. you know, I've, I've actually seen them post pictures of them hatching and things like this. So the world's changing a little bit in the reptile community. Um, imports aren't shunned upon it, shunned um, as, as much, but we have to be rely. I mean, we have to be responsible for, on our, on our end, making sure that they're given to the customers in the right way. The you, you go to a show and you sell an animal and it dies the next week, that customer's probably not coming back to the show and they're probably not going to do reptiles anymore, especially if it's a first time reptile. Um, so you want them to be have a healthy the animal that way they stay in the hobby. Well, it's kind of like I've heard you say before if the customer comes to one of your shows and has a good experience, then they're going to sing the praises of that breeder or whoever's selling it. But if they come, yeah, the vendor, and if they come there and they buy a snake and it dies a week later, they're going to yell at you. Like, they're going to go, don't go to a herp show. Herp shows have the worst animals. They're so sick. I mean, it's crazy, but it, 
It's what happens. Why you, you have to be the way you are. Here's the difference. If a customer contacts me, I've refunded so many customers and then contacted the vendor because it, especially if it's somebody I knew, I, they come to the show constantly. I know that their, their husbandry expertise is to a certain level. I'll refund the customer immediately out of my own pocket. I'll go to the vendor and make sure that that's taken care of. But I don't have a problem with customers contacting me on that reason because I can get on the cust on the vendor and say, look, this has to be taken care of. I'll get both sides of the story either way. That yeah. one post that that guy posted about the wild cotton captive bread, there were several other people that made comments about the show about purchasing sick animals or animals dying. And I debunked every single one of those things. One kid cooked his Halmahara gecko. He blamed it on the vendor. He went on vacation and left a, a like a 75-watt mercury vapor bulb on a Halmahara. <laughs> it was jerky. Like, they, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a, that's a husbandry problem right there. But you never know what happens when, they, when a person leaves the show either. So it can be an import or it could be captive bread and they go out to their car, which we've seen this before. I'm just going to stop at Whataburger and grab something to eat. Whataburger is for a good burger place for you here in the north. Um, <laughs> but you know, you know I did live in Texas for a couple of years. But that's the thing is, so the import thing, I get it. We have to be a little more cognizant of how we approach that. As far as a promoter is concerned, looking at tables, checking animals. Um, but I don't have a vet on staff 24-7 either to go through every animal, except for in New Orleans, which is great. Here's a perfect segue to that. At the New Orleans show, we have an exotic vet that comes to the show and actually will do health checks and fecals for every single animal purchased there for free. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. And Whoa. she's a great friend of ours. Her, the, the, um, her mentor is Dr. Rich, who is a well-known exotic vet all over Louisiana, all over really all over the United States. Uh, Dr. Rich is an awesome guy and he supports us 100%. And so she comes in and she does care sheets out for all the animals. She has her microscope. She has fecal floats, health checks, everything right there at the show for free for every person that purchases an animal. She was at Slidell, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Yeah, well, yeah. Leslie was. Yeah, she came. Leslie is the one that does it. I think she was there on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't there on Saturday. She had to, but that's the same vet often. They come to both shows. And her husband is actually manager at the Alario Center. So we had that connection immediately. Um, but I wish I could get more vets to do that. Every, it also advertises their business. They're handing out flyers and things like that. So um, it's something that we've tried to work on. There's a couple more shows that we're going to have that as an option, but um, we're trying to get it to at Conroe and things like that. But I think they'd be overwhelmed at Conroe. Well, that's really cool because it's it's hard to find an exotics vet for a lot of people. Did people really take advantage of that? Like, did they really? Awesome. Awesome. Um, and, and, you know, we've had a couple of things pop up, but she's she's right there. She can tell them how to take care of it. And if they have any problems, they're her vet's office around the corner. So, um, you know, she it's great. It's, it's a great thing to have. And I wish, like I said, I wish we had something like that all the time at every single show. That's what I've tried to, to, to do. It's just hard for those guys to get time off to come set up, honestly. Yeah. Things are super busy on the weekends. So I want to get, so we talked about negatives. I want to talk about just a couple of the positives that people did say they like about shows. Our buddy Dallas Rua commented one thing he likes about going to, to reptile shows is it's a great time to get dry goods. Um, and, and I do hear some complaints of other shows where you go and it's a lot of dry goods and there's very few animals. Um, and, and again, I think that's very much on the promoter. They, they know who, who they're selling a table mm-hmm. to. But I agree with Dallas. It is a great place. I, I pick up Reptichip whenever I go to one of our shows. 
Uh, it's a great place to get, like, I've gotten into isopods lately. It's a great place to get, you know, soil and all the supplies you need. Uh, we talked about it on a previous show. If you go buy things like a snake hook, people don't think to get a snake hook. Get, you can get a snake hook for a good, cheap deal, usually, at least shows. And you can talk to the person, usually, that makes it. So yeah. that's one thing I do love about shows is it's a great place to get supplies. And, and the prices are a lot cheaper than a retail because you don't have the overhead. Yeah. All the employee overhead and everything like that. They can, they can, Sell it to you over cost, make a little bit of money, but they sell so much of it to shows that their profit margins are, are it keeps them in business, you know. So, like you said, it's it's a great place to get your, your supplies, everything. There. And if you're Carly, it's a great place to get books. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we like that's another thing that we're missing. We we used to have like Russ Gurley and a couple other people. Now, um, we have um Jerry Salmon who actually comes to our shows. He comes to some of the South Texas shows. Uh, he'll actually bring in books, and Russ used to bring a bunch of books. I, I miss that. You know, I I, I loved having uh, some of those vendors having some really cool books that I've never seen before. And I usually buy a bunch of them, but I love having that stuff there at the shows. But it's just it's hard to find anyone that can come and and make enough money to even come sit down and sell books, much less their travel expenses and their table, you know, all that stuff. So at Southeast Carpet Fest, I think Carly spent about five grand on books. <laughs> every book that every one that was up for auction, Carly bid on. Joe beat me on one, but uh, it, I love reading. I do you have a pretty extensive uh, library, Juan? Or I do. It's it's in boxes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do. I have some really cool stuff. Um, I I've read I've read. Well, see, I know Tracy and, and Dave Barker, so um, I've read The Invisible Ark like five times. I love that book. Um. I've read the book about Crutchfield a few times. That's my, that's my bathroom book. But I, I have a lot of, I used to have, you like this. I used to collect National Geographic when I was a kid. And I had almost every single National Geographic from 1964 to like 1992. Storage um, building full. My grandfather got me into that and um, he collected them and, and, um, I, I still have some boxes of those sitting around. I've, I've given, them to people and stuff and Ranger Rick. I have some Ranger. I have, really do have some Ranger Rick magazines. I think sitting. Around. I loved Ranger Rick. That was like so cool. Um, Ranger Rick was awesome. But I mean, I have I have some really cool books. Um, and I've been able to meet some. Of, I have a bunch of Russ Gurley's books because you know I, I've known Russ forever. Uh, a lot of his stuff on turtles and tortoises and things like that. And um, Craig Trumbauer, his um snake book. Uh, yeah, I, I, Craig's a good guy. The mustache and all. They're so I have, I have a few, I have a few, yeah, a few books. <laughs> I missed um Craig at the last Tinley show. Um, I kept on going because he was there, and I kept on going by the booth over and over again. And he, I saw him once, but I didn't have my books. So when I went to go get them and get him to sign them, he was he was gone. But um, I'm gonna get him one of these days. But uh, we used to we used to have a show down in Houston called the uh, ETHS. It was the East Texas Herb Society show, and it was a captive only show. We used to vend it. Years ago, and he was at every single one of those. Uh, I've sat by him and talked. To him. He's a really neat guy. <laughs> I was just gonna say that's. I was just gonna say that's the uh, um, really awesome thing about this hobby is, like I said, it's still relatively small for a lot of the serious people. So most of our, like a lot of our like friends have written books. Before I started getting into reptiles, I didn't know anyone personally who had written a book. I never met anyone who'd written a book that I would want to have them sign. Yeah, I could. You have the Invisible Art? No, I don't. I don't. I need to get you. I need to send you a copy. 
Oh, uh, that book will change. Like I can tell that you're enthusiastic about the reptile thing and how, but that book changes your whole perception on why we do this. And it's, I would, I'd even give that book to a, an, an animal rights activist and, and dare them to read it and not change their way of thinking. But uh, I'll get your information and see if I can get Tracy to send you a signed copy or something. Oh my I gosh. Have, I think I have two or three of them around around here, but um, she, well, she, she does all of She does our Conroe, our Stafford and our Austin shows. And then she brings, she does the, I think she's a, what, what volume of ball, ball Python book did they just finish? James, you know, like three uh, or four. Yeah, I can't. It's Paul Python, so I don't know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, her. But her. If you if you get her Ball Python book, that thing is it's a beautiful. It's a work of art, actually. Uh, but I, I think I may have I may have another Invisible Art copy laying around. I'll try to get you one. It's a really if you love to read, this is a good one. And I have I have uh four or five notepads full in my notepad app of books it's just books one books two books three books four of, of books that i need to get and the invisible um the invisible arc is in there and i know i'm i'm jumping back a little bit but when we were talking about imports um it, and you know we're talking about the invisible arc and captivity and stuff it kind of made me think about i feel like a lot of people who they hear the word import and they immediately turn their nose up to it without even really it's just it's it, it kind of reminds me because i work with people who because i'm very uh, involved in like zoolog or interested, not involved. I like to think I like to pretend that I'm a zookeeper, but I'm very interested in like zoo, the zoo field and zoological aspects of husbandry and stuff. When I talk about it to my coworkers, they immediately look down on zoos because you know they think it's animals in cages, and I and they they only think like that because they don't understand there is 22 percent of untouched natural like habitat left in the world, like how do I word this? Like before the industrial, re- there's 22% left than there was before the industrial revolution. And you know, these people who just want animals to be free, it's like, where? So yeah, where, where, like, where are we going to put them? You know, like, but uh, I was just in my head, I was thinking, oh, that's kind of a parallel to people who are like anti-zoo because they just don't understand what good importers are doing for us and well, the hobby. Well. And they don't understand that zoos aren't the same as they were 20 years ago either. No. Um, there's a lot of these zoos that are that are breeding these animals in captivity for the first time, and they're doing release projects. They are releasing some of these animals back into the wild. There's one that I saw. I can't. Remember, it was it had to do with frogs. There's this type of frog that lives in this one waterfall, specifically one waterfall, and that's it. And they thought they were extinct, but they've gone in and actually captured some and bred them in captivity. And I can't remember where it was a zoo here in the United States that's bred so many in captivity and they've gone and released hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these back into the wild. So a zoo was a bad word, you know, back then for people who were into uh, keeping animals like we, we thought they were caged. And that, like you said, it's just, it's, it's not understanding. It's, it's, it's their knowledge base isn't where ours is. We don't, they don't see that, that side of it. Yeah, I'll fight that. I'll fight that all the time, just because I, I was, like I said before, I, I was a zookeeper, and so I've had to like explain to people the the importance, along with being able to reproduce animals in captivity that they couldn't produce in the wild. Also, just giving people a chance to see something and connect with something that you just can't connect with because someone said they exist. You've got to see it, feel it, smell it. You know. Yeah, and uh, 
Shit, I had another point to make. <laughs> Shit. Oh, oh, I, I know I'm jumping back in, James. I know you want to like propel it forward, but I just no, wanted, good. I just wanted to, it goes without saying there are good importers and not so great importers, just like there are great, fantastic zoos. And I've been to a couple free zoos <laughs> where, where like, uh, yeah. there's a lot of pacing animals, you know, and, and that, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't like, deduce whether an animal is neglected or anything like that but you know so yeah no yeah. i that, that's one misconception and i just want to bring up people always talk about you know animals pacing uh in captivity means that they're not they're not mentally healthy or whatever i'm telling you some sometimes it's because they they know it's feeding time yeah. and they're just waiting for the food like it's that's what they gotta do all the way i mean i've seen like cats know all right the keeper is four cages down i can hear them <laughs> And they'll pace back and forth. They're not yeah. pacing back and forth because they're stressed. They want food. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, in Texas, we're lucky because we have so many freaking zoos. Um, but I live in, in DFW area, and the Fort Worth Zoo has something called the MOLA, which is the Museum of Living Art. And if you're a reptile person, that is the place. To go. It's amazing. You can sit in a cafe, eye level to crocodiles yes. and glass while you're eating lunch. I and, love that place. Yeah, Ari Ari's a keeper out there too. Uh, Ari Foggle that wrote the Bolin's Python book. Um, um, Ari's a friend of ours too. I have a bunch of his Bolin shirts somewhere. Um, I, I've always I want that's one trip that I keep telling him I want to go. I want to go to Papa Wigan. Um, but um, but yeah, that place if you ever get a chance to come. And the Dallas Zoo's changed a lot too. It's gotten a lot better. But the Dallas used to be kind of run down. But Fort Worth Museum of Living Art, it's unbelievable. I love I love that that building and that whole reptile building. I mean that that was a it's not that old either. It's relatively new. And then I love not so much the Dallas Zoo, but the Dallas Aquarium. Dallas Aquarium, amazing. They have Orinoco crocodiles inside. Like it's. Do you see how massive these crocodiles are? It's it's awesome. So you need to go to Croc Encounter down um, Chris Dieter's place down in um, South Texas. He's breeding Orinocos. Um, oh, that's good. He's got some crazy stuff, but. Um, but yeah, and you know what's funny is everyone talks about how great the San Diego Zoo is. I was not impressed by their reptile house. It's a box square that you walk around. Snakes. Now they had galops, which is cool. I, I love Galapagos. I'm on, I'm planning on owning a couple of galops in the near future. So I feel like sometimes as reptile keepers, especially those of us that have been doing it for a while, we we judge zoos differently than other people. Like, I do. You you go like. And it's not that great. But they have elephants and they have gorillas and they yeah. have lions and like yeah, but they, they don't have any really cool venomous snakes where they only have an American alligator. Yeah, exactly. We are. We're very critical of that. Because we have this little reptile house and then you have the African plains we you know, it's like yeah, which is cool. I mean they're amazing. But I wanna see some some bigger I mean, name a zoo that has like a like a five thousand square foot King Cobra exhibit. Gold <laughs> grow, you know what I'm saying? Something like that that would really take your breath away uh, with a huge, like 10, 12 foot king in there. That'd be amazing to see. You probably would never see it though. That's part of the problem. Yeah, That'd be a big deal. Um, so, I do want to jump one one last thing about our uh, our post we made about expos. One more positive was uh, a couple of people posted about getting to meet breeders or getting to meet other like-minded people, getting to talk to people that know so much about a certain part of the hobby. 
Um, and, and I go back to my whole book thing because when y'all talk about books, I did go, I went and grabbed my Pythons of the World Volume Three. Uh, that's signed by it's in here somewhere. But it's signed by Tracy Barker. Uh, Tracy was, Barker. Was, I, I won that in Conroe at the auction. Oh. Um, okay. And that was the first time I met Tracy Barker. And I, and I'm gonna say, and my wife makes fun of me because that was like my one. I don't normally get. I I'm do super excited. That. Yeah. I don't normally get super excited about meeting people in the hobby. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's kind of like when you were at Tinley, um, Carly, and you went and met whoever it was and you were excited. And Joe told you, oh, yeah, you met a fucking person. That's all. And that's normally, it's normally how I am. But I'm telling you, Tracy came by my table and I had my baby boas and, uh, she listened. She goes, your boas are flawless. I almost shit myself. I, Shit, my pants. <laughs> I, I, I composed myself. I talked to her, and she is awesome to talk to, especially talking about like genetics. Yeah. Uh, and then when she went away, I annoyed my wife with how excited I was that she liked my snakes. Yeah, it's, it's those annoyed, kind of things. Annoyed me too. Tracy Barker yes. likes snakes. I know. Tracy's a cool person. I mean, Tracy's a really cool. She's just a down to earth. She's one of us. She's a reptile person. She's she fits in. She knows her stuff, and but she doesn't. Flaw, I mean. She's like, I mean, seriously, no offense to Tracy, but Tracy's a tiny little woman. She is. Okay, I was going to say, I've heard that she's well, I mean, I've seen pictures of her, but I've heard she's just an itty-bitty. But her, the respect everyone have outweighs, I mean, it, everyone has for her is just tremendous. I mean, her her personality, her aura is so much bigger than, you know, what I'm saying. Um, she's, she's an amazing person, but she's so much knowledge, and she's so willing to help anybody out and, and share it, and that's what we need. we need we need more people like that there's a lot of people that get big and fuck the little guy you know what i'm saying yeah. they started at the bottom and they're way at the top and they get somebody that's starting off trying to get information and they just sue them away that's not the people that we need, we need. and unfortunately there are quite a few of those well it's like you carly carly you said before you really got to go into shows and go into these events you didn't really know anybody you didn't know any people that wrote books but now you've met you've met you met ari and intently and you've gotten to meet other people and like i got to meet tracy because i went to a show and so that was one thing people were saying that one positive was go to these shows because honestly you don't know who you'll meet at some of these shows even some of the smaller shows you'll be surprised what is a local show to somebody who is a relatively big name in the hobby and and so go and talk to them and that's one thing talk to people i can tell you right now 95 percent of people i'll say 95 percent of people behind the table at a reptile show 95% 95% of the vendors, they want to talk to you about this stuff. Yep. I mean, we're there to sell it because that's the stuff we really enjoy. And if you want to talk about it, we'll talk to you. Oh, man, I've gotten on so many gecko spills with genetics. I used to stay up and talk to um, uh, Matt Baranek and, and Dave um, until 3 or 4 in the morning after working all day. <laughs> and start talking to them at like 9 o'clock at night and like 3 or 4 in the morning we're still talking about this new, the, you know, these projects that we're working on and, and genetics and things like that. So, uh, you know, they're, everybody wants to talk about their stuff because they're proud of it. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're proud of what they produced and what they're working on, especially what they're working on. Everybody, some, to some extent, you know, they all, everybody has a secret project. Everybody's got a secret project. Um, but it's, it's fun to, and, and what we've noticed too is, and James notices too, is it shows a lot of the people that, our vendors started off as customers and they were coming to every single show and they were first in line at every single show. 
And we've become lifelong friends with those guys. Those guys are family to us, you know? And so we, we, um, we want everybody to come up and talk to us and talk to the vendors and spend time because we've made some, we've made some really not even joking, some lifelong friends from this. And, and James and Katie are, are part of that group now. They're our family. And so, and, and we've known you guys for how long? Uh, two years now. Yeah. And it was, but it was instant. Like, you yeah. know, you guys just fit, it, it, we click. So we, we try to take care of our, of everyone just like they are our family. And, um, but the shows and talking to these people, I guess we take it, I guess that we take it for granted, especially me, I guess that there's some huge names that come to these shows and people that, that are local to us that people don't get to meet and see and greet. And, and I guess we do t- kind of take advantage of it. I, 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 I didn't really think about that way till, till she said that, you know, like I'm excited to meet Joe and Melissa in New Orleans. Yeah. Podcast with them and they just seem like our people. They really do. You know, they just seem like they're our people. So. But yeah, we we um we we have a lot of people that come to. I mean, I remember meeting Ron Trimper for the first time, and I was like, "This is Ron Trimper." But but then I was like, "Okay, well that's Ron. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing better than Ron. I'm gonna work on something else, you know." But um, <laughs> but yeah, you'll have if you ever get a chance to come to Texas, you'll have to come to one of those shows like where Tracy and those guys are, and Con- and Conroe's probably the biggest one. That's that's the one that most people come in from all over the place to to go to. So I'm going to wrap up our talking about shows and we'll move on to the other stuff. But before we, I just want to kind of, people need to go to them. Just go to a show, no matter where it is. Again, some of them are not going to be as good as others. They're just not. I've been to a lot of different ones. And like I said, I can honestly say that the Herp shows, no matter what location you go to, it's going to be the best quality. Uh, go say hi. When you go to one of these shows, go say hi to Sean. Like he'll, he'll, he'll say hi to you. He'll talk to you. Yeah. Um, Go say hi to them. You take care, like I said earlier, you take care of your vendors probably better than anybody else. And it's hard to explain to people because I, I hear about people doing other shows and it's not the same. Like, like the Saturday nights, like when we go out and we eat and we hang out until three Whatever. or four in the morning. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I can't do yeah. that again. But like, that doesn't happen other places. Well, we're, we're going to New Orleans. You're, you're doing it again. Sure. We're going to New Orleans next week. The the good thing is I'm the sober one, so I can at least yeah. remember all the stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it uh, but that doesn't happen at other places, and 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 like I said, it's a family, and you've come around at the end of shows, and you talk to people, and you and through the show, you're asking how are you doing, are you selling anything, because you really care if someone sells whatever it is on their table. You don't, you're not. I need you to pay two weeks in advance, and then once you get your money, you don't really care if it, what happens to them. You care what happens. No, I want I want to know what's selling, and and I do I keep that stuff in my head because I know how to better address vendor issues the next show. I know what we need more of and less of. That helps me figure out what the market's doing as far as how much the price point people are spending. That gives me an idea of how much more I need to spend on the advertising and targeted marketing. But I've been a vendor. That's that's the main difference. Is a lot of these shows I've been behind the table for a lot longer than I've been putting on shows. That's what. Yes. That, that's what it boils down to. So I've been to, to those, in those situations where it's just what you're paying for your table and how many people are coming through the door. And I've been part of that. You know, I've been behind tables and seen 200 people in a weekend and I've seen 5,000 people in a weekend behind a table before, you know, and that's kind of why we try to change it. How we, how we went about shows, how we, 
treated our vendors and our customers because I vendor. I was a vendor for a long time. I know I'm still learning how to put on shows. We're still trying to figure everything out, but I take everything that the vendors give me as feedback to heart. Like it's not just words. I'm actually using that information. Well, and I'll listen to some of these other podcasts and, and all the podcasts are done by folks who, who have reptiles. And for most of us, other than Carly, we, we breed and we plan on selling or we've done shows and I'll hear other guys talk about how the, promoter doesn't really care about the people there or they just really want their money and when i hear that i'm thinking god it's, it's so different than the experience i get and i and i'm going to tell this story real quick and then we'll move on but so we're at conroe and there's an auction at conroe uh we, they do an auction a silent, a silent auction throughout Con- the show and uh there was a little backpack that had the herps logo on it and i took my daughter and she wanted to bid on something and she wanted that backpack and i think she bid like 20 bucks and then she comes back to me. Well, I don't know. Well, let me let me preface that by saying that was the last a customer brought that in. It was a sling pack, and it was one of our very first giveaways, like our first year of doing business. And a, and one of our friends that had that, I don't even have those anymore. They they don't exist. Like the, the company doesn't make those anymore. I think I have a torn one somewhere in my storage building. Um, so when I saw this, my eyes lit up because this was like really one of those popular, we get, we give a lot of stuff away to customers and stuff, but go ahead, James. I'm sorry. I wanted to. So, well, that adds, so my daughter, she bid 20 bucks on it and she goes and checks on it a couple hours later. She comes back and goes, someone outbid me. I was like, well, they bid $50. I was like, who bids $50? Cause the last bid was hers at 20. And so I walk over there and it's Sean's name. I was like, oh, well, I, I mean, it's his, he's going to get it. And I made a joke. Uh, about when you went by, I said, I can't believe you outbid a kid. And then later you told, it was either me or you told my wife to tell me, but to go bid $150. I'm like, I, I, I'm not paying $150 for that backpack. I was like, you can have it. And he said, no, 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 go do it. And so I go over there, I bid 150 bucks. And then uh, you end up bidding $200. Yeah. And so you win, you win it at $200. And then you gave it to my daughter. And so that, that right there, like, I'm, you made her, she used that backpack nonstop. She does dance twice a week. And she kept using that as her dance bag. And finally we had to be like, Hey, we bought you a dance bag. We better stop using that one. You need to use your dance bag. We spent money on that. So, but now she uses a hearse bag when she comes to the show. She brings all of her stuff in it. But I tell that story just because that's the kind of person you are. And it's the kind of promoter you are. You care more about the people that are at your shows. Then really yourself sometimes. I mean, and, and yeah. I feel bad for everybody that does these other shows where they feel like the promoter doesn't care, where they feel like the promoter doesn't have their interests. It's more just, I need to fill tables. Well, and, and our, my thing is, is that I'm in a situation where I can give back. That's why we raise money for autism and, 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 you know, different charities and the scholarship funds for vet students and anything I hands on that can help raise money for that's part of our community is trying to help other people but i'm not gonna like i don't know i can i can make other backpacks her face when she saw that backpack and lit up that was like something that i you know i i, I didn't even think about it until you said right now about you know uh outbidding or anything i just i wanted to help raise money and then i wanted her to have the backpack and and i think that was the first time i met her yeah that was her first show connor right. was her very first reptile show yeah was so, that last year uh, yeah. it, was it summer show last year? Yeah, it was early. Yeah, because yeah, she's out of school. So. Yeah, it was a June show. Yeah, so 
but that's part of it too, is we, we like to give back. And, but like I said, man, just being on the other side of the table is, is made our business go the way it's going. Um, it, that it's what sets us apart from other people. And I'm not say I can't say that not every field promoter cares for their vendors. There's a difference between caring for your vendors though. And, and, and actually, you know, doing stuff to help your vendors out. Because if you call me away from the show or whatever, uh, there's no, there's certain show, you couldn't call a show promoter and say, Hey, I got a flat tire. I'm three hours away from you. Well, I'd be there, you know, it's just how I was raised. Uh, and I wasn't raised with a whole lot. So if I'm able to give back, I'm going to give back all I can. Um, we put every, pretty much almost every dime that we make into shows, either adding on marketing budget or new ideas or coming up with different things, getting more flyers out, nicer venues. We don't, we don't rent cheap venues. You've been to our venues. Yeah. We, I want people to walk into a nice clean space that feels safe and, and clean. And it's a reflection on the animals too. If you walk into a barn, the animals are dirty. That's what people automatically assume. So that's where we spend our money and we, we still haven't paid ourselves, but, but if I can give back, I'm going to. Yeah. It's, it's not done in a rundown fairground where I've, I've been to many shows and rundown fairgrounds. I too. And that's, but that's what's, I'm so sorry. Did I cut you off? I apologize. No, no, no. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was just going to say like, that's, what's going to change. Um, the way, if we present ourselves as put together and responsible people, not just like showboaters who want, who want to walk around like a beach with a boa constrictor around our shoulders. Like, and if we, we present ourselves as good, like upstanding people who are clean and we shower and we're normal, you know, like we, we can change, we can change people's minds about reptiles and people who keep reptiles. And like, uh, cause you know, I'm sure you guys have heard. You know, well, I would have never expected you to be one of them, you to have reptiles. And it's like, what do you, you know, it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, we're just normal people. But like, I know it's been, I forgive me, I get to go in because it just gets me so excited. Um, <laughs> but like, get on. There's a stigma about what we do. And, and like, uh, you know, there, like, there are kids who drag their parents to these because it, they're excited about it and their parent is just like really grossed out or freaked out. And when they see like this place is clean, the, the vendors are personable and they're charismatic and they present their animals in a passionate and excitable manner. Like, and you know, the, uh, who can't be swayed by that, you know? No. And, 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 and we offer education with every single show and that's really big on education. Um, we usually have like, in Canada, we have 5,000 square foot, just educational. It's educational vendors. It's Texas parks and wildlife. It's, it's the local rescues come out. It's uh, teachers that we, Adrian Laura Berg, that are teachers actually at Katie High School. They come and do presentations and snake demonstrations, and they dispel all those myths and rumors. So having those parents in there listening to a talk about snakes when they're terrified of snakes, they walk out holding something, you know. So education is key, but like you said, like making sure that we come across like we. It's a professional. Our shows are like a professional trade show. We just don't do the pipe and drape in between. And people always ask me about that, so I really want to hit that real quick. Why yeah. do, why do we not use pipe and drape at our reptile shows? Because we're building a family at these shows. If this vendor on this side of the room doesn't have something, I want him to be able to point to his buddy at the other side of the room and say, go check his table. I don't want it to be this impersonal box that you're in. I want everybody to be able to talk to each other. There's been so many business decisions and, and people that businesses have actually formed 
from doing reptile shows by two people sitting next to each other that have never known each other before. So we want everybody to get a chance to meet everybody and talk to all the vendors. Um, and, and it opens up a lot of sight for the customers to see just how big this place is and how much it is and how clean it is. It's, it doesn't have to be pipe and drape to be professional. We do it that's, in a very, very, very different That's way. my least favorite part about Tinley. And, and, and I don't think it makes the show look better by having it. Like, I don't understand the stigma of being able to look across a show because I personally enjoy being able to see across the entire show and see what's going on on the other side or be able to go, oh, yeah, they're underneath that sign or next to that person. And it's so closed off. We were in the corner at Tinley. We hung out in that little corner most of the time. You can't tell anything that was going on 10 feet away from you. I mean, past that, you're done. Well, there's two ways of thinking of that. A lot of show promoters think that that draws your attention to that vendor's table so that you spend time looking at that table. As, as, as a customer at, as a customer and a vendor at both shows that didn't, didn't have pipe and drape, it made no damn difference to me either way. If I was walking the show, I was going to look at every table regardless if there was a, a piece of pipe and some drape up there. And as a vendor, it closed me off. I felt claustrophobic. I wanted to be able to reach out and walk out. I, I was notorious for standing in front of the aisle with my geckos on me like handing people geckos. As my wife took money behind me and sat behind the table, I would hand, come hold my gecko. I got gecko. Were you like gecko. Oprah? Like, you get a gecko. <laughs> so, but that's just how I was bending. I never sat down behind my table. I was always out in front engaging customers. Um, but So the pipe and drape really didn't bother me. But some people will sit there at their phones behind the table. And if you're walking by, here's the other thing. If you're a customer walking by, you don't want to even stop and look because you know you're not going to have their attention. Um, so yeah, the pipe and drape things, we, we get asked that all the time and it's super, and, and this doesn't have anything to do with it, but it's super expensive for that stuff. It's ridiculous cost that you don't need. You can spend that money more on advertising or giving away more stuff to the customers or, you know what I'm saying? Buy more beer after the show. I don't know what I'm saying. Like there, there's so many different things that you can do with that, but the pipe and drape, I mean, it's fine, but it's not our thing. It's not. So, our thing. so you mentioned beer, which means I have to, I have to mention what one suggestion I got from one person on uh on this. Brandon Wheeler says there needs to be a better bar at shows. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've been around Brandon and I'm not sure he needs more access to alcohol. <laughs> well and, and unfortunately our thing is that it's always up to the concession people if they serve alcohol or not. Uh and here oh here's another thing. We don't make any money off concessions. I want to dispel that rumor right now. Like we really did think people thought people really thought we were getting money off concessions. We have nothing to do with that whatsoever. Uh, I, now, do, I do like the concessions at the Slidell show though. Oh, because that's a restaurant. See, yeah. they're a restaurant. Those guys are amazing. We go down there and eat all the time. Speckled teas. Shout out to Speckled Teas um, in Slidell. They're amazing. We are going to do um, at, at Stafford. We're actually going to have a local booster club from the from the school. Things from elementary school or junior high, they're going to come out and do concessions so they can help raise money for their school. So not for them there. Um, I wish, and, and it's funny because I'd love to do food trucks and do other things like that, but a lot of those things have contracts with specific, I mean, you're not going to be thrilled with the, with the, the food selection at New Orleans. It's like Daytona. You can't bring in a bottle of water in. Yeah. Very, you know, you have to eat there, whatever, but it's unfortunately some of that stuff's not up to us. So real quick on the pipe and drape, the one thing I like about not having it is that I get to meet people at the shows. Like when I do a Herb show, like uh, I get to meet Michael Pinnell, which I've heard his name on on the NPR podcast all the time. 
and I was next to him the first time I went and did the Longview show. And that was just cool to me. Like, I've heard that name. I got to talk to him. He's an awesome dude. Super nice. And if there's pipe and drape there, I'm not going to be talking to him the whole day. No, Mike's awesome. I, I love Michael. And his wife's amazing, too. Michael actually went to the first New Orleans show ever. Mike on Bourbon Street was freaking hilarious. I love Mike. But, I mean, him and his brother, too. I don't know if you've ever met his brother, Mark. Um, almost identical. But, yeah. Do you, you remember him with the ponytail and everything at the ponytail? No. You've never seen Oh, Mike used to have this long braided ponytail down about the middle of his back. I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't picture him because if you meet him now, he's, he's a very... So clean cut. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know what I expected when I met him, but it wasn't that. I guess it goes back to the, oh, you own... But no, it's... He's, he's a scrawny little nerdy looking guy, but he's super nice and amazing animals. And like I said, you wouldn't get to have that experience if you're cut off from the person all day long. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. We, we've said enough great things about Sean and his show. Screw that. We're moving on. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting hyped now to come to one of your shows. So maybe in, I've, wait, what year is it? Wait, where, wait, it's 2020. So maybe 2020. Maybe in 2021, James, I can come and hang out with you and uh, Katie and Joe and I can help you vend and yeah. have a good time. Yeah. I'm inviting myself to one of your shows. So. <laughs> So, I'm going to now jump to YouTube, because I know we we didn't get to talk about, well, no one heard episode four, but (laughs) it did exist. We didn't get to talk about YouTube on there, and and this name got mentioned earlier. We were talking about ball pythons and everything, how it's gone. Justin Kabilka put out a video this week, and again, I'm, I'm I'm not a big ball python person. I've said it over and over again. And I can't say it enough, but I'm not a big ball python person. But it's something about the way Justin Kabilka carries himself and the way it's all been done and the way his videos are. I respect that. And his new video shows, uh, it's called a crazy new snake facility because he just built this brand new snake facility. And if you haven't seen the video, check it out. It's an amazing, like if you were to build a dream facility, it's that, uh, he built, he has the giant ball python room with an area for hatchlings, an area for breeding. But then he also built in his building a separate room for all the non-ball python projects, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, he's got two Boland's pythons that he's setting up in there and a bunch of like lizards and other things. Oh, I guess uh, I did forget. He's had those for a while now, hasn't he? Um, uh, they're still young. I think he got them, he, I, he got them early last year. I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah I just, last I year. I so I just I wanted to bring up that video because I watched it the other day and I was like, man, this is, it, it's a, it's a two-sided thing. Everybody goes off. Oh, I want that life, but I don't think people realize what all it takes to have that life. He's worked his ass off to get there and it wasn't cheap and it wasn't easy. And I know at one point, Sean, you had a shit ton of geckos. We were over a thousand at one time. Yeah, we were about a year. And it wasn't cheap and it wasn't easy. No, my, I mean, my mealworm, I was going through. About midway through that, when hatching season, I was going through a little over a million and a half millworms a month, and towel bill was like, I think my paper towel and cleaning bill was like twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars a month just for cleaning supplies and not accounting electricity expenses and all the other intangibles that people don't realize that go into it. Um, it it's uh, it's it's insane. Yeah, it was it was nuts. Um, and, so, and so like I said, when, when you watch that video and people go, I want to do that, 
I think more people need to go, that's really cool. And I can appreciate that. And then reel it back and real, and think about what can you realistically do to still enjoy the hobby? Exactly. You have, cause it got to a point where I was working here. We uh, well, Lori and I both working full time jobs and doing that. So it, it was an all day work, all night, clean, feed, pull eggs, set up babies, like constantly. We would come home from a week going to vend a show and we'd have 30, 40, 50 babies in the incubator. Uh, so it's, you know, it was a constant thing. And, and, and we went, we got too big too fast is what, what happened to us. Um, we hit some really crazy odds in the beginning and, and got, I had some, re- I mean, some of the best mentors. I mean, I had Kelly Hammock as a mentor and she lived um, like 30 minutes from my house. So having Kelly of all people be that close to my house was lucky enough for me to get in some really cool projects early on and work my way up. Um, where I even had my own line named after our company at the time and um, it went crazy, but it's like having two or three full-time jobs. Like my whole, my kids were involved that we had to, it was, it was important. We had to have feeding one, feeding day two, feeding day three, cleaning day one, cleaning day two, cleaning day three, cleaning day four for sections of my gecko room. Um, And it was, it was nuts, but People don't know what their their limitations are. You have to be able to balance your home, your your work and your home life, and that's where it kind of we kind of got disenfranchised with it after a while because it wasn't as fun anymore as it was a job. It was work you had to do, uh, and then we started scaling back from it. Like we halved our collection, we sold a bunch to breeders all over the United States, um, where it was more manageable. And then when I started Herps. Um, it had to take a back seat. We had already downsized even more. I have one leopard gecko left. Really? One leopard gecko. I have a lot of other stuff, <laughs> but I have one leopard gecko left, and I'll always have leopard geckos. My daughter actually, I don't even know how she was. I mean, it was she was tiny with her money. I had other reptiles and stuff, but that's what got us into Leo's. But um, going to a facility like that, you're going to need staff. Like my staff was me, my wife, and my kids. That was our staff. We did have friends come over. Um, James, you know Chase Baker? Yeah. Okay. Chase, well, I've known Chase since he was like 12, 13 years old. Like he's now 23. He's the one that produced the leucistic boa. Uh, he would come over and just help me on the, on the week, during the week, just to clean tubs and, and, and spot clean poop and feed and everything. He's even thrown my geckos in the trash before. That's, that's a funny story. I have to tell you. <laughs> Took out two babies out of a tub, and he didn't see them because they were uh, they were like super snow eclipse. They're like solid white babies, uh, albino super snow eclipse. And he just dumped them into the trash can, and I'm looking for them. I'm like, what the? But I got them out. But oh my god, <laughs> that, that size of facility and that it's it's work. And if you don't, if you're doing it. If you're doing it just to be the biggest and the best, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You do it because you love it, and you can maintain a good positive balance of family life. That's what makes this hobby so much more enjoyable. Yeah. So, like I said, that video, I think people, when you watch it, maybe don't watch it with, and I say this coming from when I was younger, I was like, oh, I want to be the guy with a wall full of boas and I want to breed all these boas. And then as I got older, that's not feasible. Not, not for the life I have. And so when you watch Justin Kabilka's video and you see that facility, enjoy it for what it is and think, oh, that's amazing. But it's not for everybody. I mean, everybody can't do that. Like it's, I know it seems like people always get into this hobby because they want to make money. Not, not everybody, not everybody. And I don't think it's as much now as it used to be, but 
I think you've, you've got to get into the hobby more for you love the animals. And I still think at the level he does it, he still does it because he loves the animals. He's just really good at business. Yeah, and we, we, we were happy if we broke even after producing that many rapper geckos a year. Oh. Oh, we broke, we, well, we did shows. We were bending like 30 something shows a year too. So, um, we were still happy if we broke even. We were just cool. We were just always excited about new things hatching out, new projects. Every single egg that hatched out, I was excited. It doesn't matter how many thousands of leopard geckos I produced. Every single egg I was excited to see hatch out. That never changed. Just the work got a lot more. (laughs) Carla, do you have anything from YouTube this past week? Um, God, I'm so behind on everything. Like, I have like 20 hours of podcasts to catch up on. Who is doing a live stream? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or we're busy. Oh, I'm. Uh, I've got I've got one more YouTube video for you. Yeah, Dave Coffin's video. Uh, yeah, Dave Coffin's video. So I, there's only a handful of YouTube folks I actually watch, just because I can't I can't watch like the pet tubers. I can't I can't watch somebody unbox their 14th snake. I just I don't give a damn. But I love Dave Coffin because he goes places, he does stuff, and he was seeing water monitors in the wild. Um, and he does a lot of these videos where he sees something in the wild and then kind of follows it up with, "Are we keeping it correctly?" I and that, that. it's awesome. Like, oh, it's funny part is like they're in the wild, but he's also in the middle of a city, like on a bridge, and they're everywhere, just walking, like eating out of trash cans, like fucking hanging raccoons, out, hanging along, hanging out along the creek bed. People are like splashing water on them. I didn't yeah. see that. It's just giant Asian squirrels is what they are. I mean, they are. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, but, but watching those videos, it's really awesome, just because. I, people, if you haven't watched Dave Coffin, first off, it's D-A-V, no E. So if you go searching for it, it's spelled weird. But he goes to some of the coolest places. So I, I like to bring his videos up just because that video was neat. And I think monitors are awesome. I don't have the time or patience, and I've said it before, to do monitors. I know you do monitors. Well, little guys, right? You have like Ackies and stuff. I have Ackies. Well, and I have Savannahs. I have some I have some Hypo Savannah monitors. And then I've got yellow and red Ackies. Hypo Savannah Really? And then I've got green tree monitors too. Those are cool. I'm trying to breed the green trees. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'll have to see. If, I have a, um, I have a, a beautiful female hypo staff. She's orange. I mean, she's bright orange, glowing orange. What, she's gorgeous. I I'm gonna be showing my ignorance here, but I while you guys were talking, I had to look up what exactly the Orinoco Crocs looked like. Um, yeah. so I'm gonna look up like would Google have a hypo. Savannah monitor. Because, you know, some, some of these snakes that we talk yeah, about, and I go ahead. Hypo, probably have to put in, like, hypo-melanistic, though. Type in hypo-melanistic Savannah monitor. Mine actually might show up. Who knows? I mean, it's been on my page before. Yeah. Okay. There's, yeah, there's, okay, now, now I see. Yeah, there's <laughs> one that looks like it's about to get freaky with the hypo one. So I think, I think this is, I think the first picture that comes up is some, I don't know, Savannah. Are Savannah's Savannah um, monitor porn? Savannah monitor. Our Savannah monitors, like I know, blue tongue skinks skip. Uh, all lizards are vicious when they have sex. Oh, are they, are they yeah. really? Leopard geckos even pick the geckos down to the small. Except for you know what? Knobtails aren't as crazy because the female will lay there and she'll lift her tail up <laughs> at him, and then he'll just kind of gently get into place, and it's over. Leopard. Wolfram skinks are bloody, 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 but they are tegus and monitors. 
I've seen, I mean, I know you guys have probably seen it too, but I've seen pictures of like, I'm, I'm not into skinks, but I love learning about them. Like reptile people, it's cool because it, even though we're not into something, most of us are still interested in it. But like in some blue, uh, skink groups I'm in, people will just be holding a blue tongue skink arm to feel. Like- yeah. Rip legs off. <laughs> I've had it happen where, where um, a male has gotten a hold of one of the females and broke it, ripped her whole like her leg off. Like, yeah, it's, yeah they're just like, like whatever. Finish. It happened. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. One of the YouTube thing, and if anything of you and the monitors and kind of what else you keep was a uh, Brian Cusco put out a video. He keeps putting out uh, little segments from the Herpetona talks that he went to last year. And he put out one on Borneo earless monitors. And I was like, that seems like the perfect Sean lizard because he likes monitors, small monitors, and he loves those silly little newts or whatever you have. I'm like, here's the tattoo. Yeah, they're tattooed on your arm. And they're cool. Don't be wrong. They are cool. They're pink. Like they are, if you see them in person, I, what are they called? Uh, Kaiser newts, Iranian newts. Okay. I'm looking those up. They're pink. They've got like a pink. Stri- they're cool looking. Oh, they have, yeah, they have like a pink stripe down their back, and they're black and white. Just look up Kaiser K I K A I S E R I. And then I thought, man, Borneo earless monitors kind of fit that niche. They're aquatic, and they're a monitor. I was like, that seems like a Sean lizard. Well, they were they were on my on my bucket list, but there's st- every single one in the United States is still illegal to have. Um, really. Yeah, Borneo was shut down years ago. There, it's it's illegal to import from that area, uh, and even the ones that are captive bred, finger quotes, you can't see me, but um, they can still be confiscated if, if possible. And I know there are some that bred in captivity here in the United States. I know at least three people that produced them here. They're definitely one of the coolest, um, but I'd rather have shingle backs. I think. Yes, those are cool. Yeah. I have some. I have some cool pictures of me holding shingle backs, and that's. That's one of those that I'll end up getting eventually. Uh, I'm actually happy with my monkey tail schemes right now. My monkey tails are amazing. See, the problem with monkey tails is they come out vicious. My male, just the one male, he is absolute. Now I have, I think I have six now, six or seven, uh, and he's still the only one that's a complete asshole. Like, it's it's still a asshole. Well, it still amazes me. As much as you're on the road, like you would think you would have really gotten into snakes since you're never really home. But you have so many different lizards and so many things that take regular care. Dude, I feel like every time you mention, I I don't know, like every time, my face does this like, <laughs> like I feel like every time you mentioned a species, like when you said monkey tail snakes, so I was like, like how do you have time? Like I, I work maybe 48 on a heavy week, hours a week. And I only, I'm just like, oh, I don't have time for six snakes. I can't, you know, <laughs> like how do you do it? Everybody asks me that same question. I'm very I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm on the road for a week and home for maybe four days and then on the road again. Uh, but my son lives with us. He's 20 years old. Um, he's been in, he's probably, he knows probably more about how to take care of reptiles than most people you see at reptile shows because he's grown up with it his whole life. Um, he does a really good job. It's actually his job. I pay him to take care of my animals when I'm on the road. And my dogs, because I have four English bulldogs and a mini dachshund. So uh, he takes care of the dogs and, and all the animals. And, and um, we stay in constant contact about things and issues that are going on. Uh, I haven't started like like I have my like my tegus are still brumating and my uh, ackies aren't quite big enough to breed yet. But some of that stuff coming up, we're going to have to have a 
another meeting and, and figure out. But anytime he has any questions or anything, he knows he can call me. But his husbandry is pretty spot on. Just out of curiosity, what do you like more, the red or yellow Ackies? I like the red Ackies. Really? Yeah, I've got some rare earth reds. And people, I, like, I can't keep fish, okay? My, the only fish that come into my house are feeder fish. They go into my turtle tank. Uh, and I hate to say that I just can't. I can walk by a fish tank and everything just floats to the top. But <laughs> watch fish tanks. Like, they'll watch them. That's how I watch my Ackies. I'll sit in that room and just watch them play and hunt and, and run around and, and dig. And, and they're, they're so intelligent. Their intelligence level is through the roof. But, um, I, I really dig the reds because I mean, their yellows and reds are the same basic species, but. I see more, it looks just like they're thinking a lot more. They are the true, like, velociraptor of of the reptile world because you can see them working, like, they're thinking about it constantly. Either how to escape, either by me putting my arm to grab their water bowl and run up my arm, or, I mean, seriously, they are so intelligent. And that's what, that's why I'm into the, that, that species, the, the Ackies. I mean, most monitors are intelligent, all of them have some sort of intelligence. Those guys are geniuses. It's it's fun to watch them. I could listen to people talk about reptile intelligence all day. It's so interesting. And I my experience with that is so minuscule. I'm just it's so fun to hear people talk about it and then, you know, someday I'll get to experience like a really someday so Varanid species in particular uh, they're likened to like a three or four year old toddler. Like their brain level as far as how their cognitive thinking works, is very similar to that age. And you can, I mean, seriously, when you can look at a reptile and watch it think about what it's about to do, it's so mesmerizing. There's a difference between being trained to do something and like instinctual movements and, and, and things like that. But watching Aki's actually in monitors, and, and especially the green tree monitors too, they're like that. Watching them work like that and think is just that that's so intriguing to me. That's just crazy because we don't know what the hell we're talking about. We can say, oh, they're, they're dumb creatures or they're this smart. We have no freaking clue what's going on in their heads. We really don't. We can't pretend to. But those guys are something special about having, having access. They're really cool. I know, James, you, you probably want, I just, I just want to mention a couple more things. Like, um, anyone, we were talking about books. If anyone, um, has any really good book, re- book recommendations in, in period, just, uh, please shoot me a message. But also, if anyone out there listening has any really good book re- recommend, <laughs> recommendations, there's, there, there, there's your word for the episode. There's always Sean, a word Sean, that you cannot get out. Recommendations one, is the one. Once, once an episode, I'm just like, bleh, bleh. but he, he, um, but yeah, recommendations on reptile intelligence, please. And I know there's a couple that I have on my list, but yeah, anyone, any book recommendations, period. And also, when I was at uh, Cody and Pia's place, Cody just briefly, like, we got to talk about something else because we both got on a tangent, but Cody was talking to me about when we say, oh, this animal's dumb. You know, he's like, as opposed, to, I, he really, it's like he condensed a, a a day-long conversation into just a few short sentences by just, and I'll never word it at, like he did, but he was like, as opposed to what, you know, as a, like, we're saying this animal is, is stupid and, you know, doesn't, you know, like, is upside down. It's water bowl. Like, I don't know. It was, yeah. It's funny. Um, I, I didn't, I, of course, nobody got to hear Cody and Pia's because 
James messed up his microphone. Tony <laughs> and Pia actually came to one of our Austin shows two years ago. They came and vended. They drove all the way from Florida, all the way through. And I have a picture somewhere. I've got to find this. We have a, we had rented a house near the venue. And we had a big barbecue for all the vendors afterwards. And I have a picture of Cody in the lawn chair in the front yard with everybody around him. And he is passed out, just gone. Moving <laughs> on himself. Um, but they were so cool to meet. And, um, and Dave, uh, you know, you, you said something about Dave Kaufman. Dave came to Conroe a couple years ago, too. He came and um, I'll let you ask Dave about what happened when he left. Um, he got, oh, he, yeah, there was, he, Dave said he's never coming back to Texas anymore. It was, really? uh, having, yeah, he had a, he had a little run in uh, that, that uh, I won't go any further than that just for his, his uh, private. <laughs> but, um, Dave got in a fight. He, no, <laughs> he, just, he was in Texas for a little longer than he thought he was going to. Uh, nice. So I, Dave was awesome. He was cool to hang out and, and uh, pick his brain about stuff. But uh, you know, you're talking about the water monitor. The, the toke was also great. The video he posted about the toke care. And oh yeah, yeah, with, yeah, the, with the monk. Yeah. yeah, with the monks. Yeah, that's a that's a great video too. So. so you mentioned Rare Earth earlier. Have you ever seen his display for a show? Eric's. Yeah. No, because I'm trying to get him to come. Like, he wants us to go further east. I've talked to Eric so many times. He's helped me out so much. GIS Herbs, right? Um, I want him to come do our show. It's just too far for him. And he usually sells out before he has animals <laughs> to come this far. The the display at Tinley, it's a tree. It's a concrete tree with cages built into it, all lit up. And you can view them, like, in these little, like, like zoo quality... Yeah. I don't ever want to be next to him at a show. I don't want to be a table next to him. Like, and he was a stone's throw, a stone's throw, a full, a stone's huh? throw from Garrett. Sorry. Okay, I'm gonna. Yeah, he, he was right. He was right on the corner from Garrett yeah. Hartle, who was again someone I don't want to be next to at a show. He, he had a fucking Harley Davidson in his uh, <laughs> booth and that giant wall and a you know charging station for phones. And I need to be on the other side of the room with the people that only have like deli cups, so I look amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was just. As a, as a show promoter and all, I'm like, if you ever see his setup, you'll be like, okay, I don't have anybody else like that. There's one guy you have, I can't remember my, anybody's name because it's Paul Python. So it oh me. my God. We get it, James. You don't like Paul Python. No, but, it, but he has that awesome, uh, like metal, uh, roll in. Yep. Royal Authority. Yeah. Matt Eckhart. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, a, he doesn't even use tables. He has his own. It looks like a display counter at a retail store, and it's built. It's got built-in shelves, and it's all lit. Everything comes together. Yeah, that that's Matt Eckhart. He's got a really cool setup. That's an awesome one too. That was actually maybe Reptile Report or somebody had posted that one not that long ago. I saw it online somewhere. I was like, "Hey, I've seen that in person." Yep, yeah, Matt's so, cool guy. But Walter Walter's setup, uh, his his setup always looks amazing too. Oh yeah, well, and he's like really like the only. He's not the only, but. He's kind of the biggest corn snake guy you ever have in any of your shows. Yeah, he's he's the corn snake guy. I mean, Walter's amazing. I love him. I wish I'd get him to come to New Orleans. He just won't do it. Ah, <laughs> uh, he comes to Slidell. He'll stop at Slidell. Yeah, he, he, we're working on him. We're working on him. He had really awesome looking stuff. I actually have a corn snake from him that I got in Slidell. Amazing stuff. Yeah. I was just gonna ask James, how many uh, shows are you planning to do this year? Uh. I have a, a slightly new business venture with a, a friend, so I'm probably going to be doing, uh, I'll be doing every Louisiana show, which that's three shows twice a year. I will probably do every Conroe. That's. Wait. 
That's what three that's, shows twice a year. Yeah, three different shows: Slide Out, New Orleans, Orleans oh. Lake Charles. <laughs> three shows twice a year. Twice a year. That's six. Can you do it with fingers? With fingers. That's six. And and then Conroe. That's three more shows. That's up one to nine. Yeah. Uh, and then I don't know. I'll, I'll probably do some of the other ones here and there. I'm maybe, maybe the maybe the new one that we're going to look at venues in a couple weeks. At. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was expecting you to go. Okay, Johnny has six apples. <laughs> if you take away four. <laughs> I had a brain fart. Okay, continue. So yeah, I've got. If anybody comes to the New Orleans show, come by and see me at Simply Serpents booth. And I, I won't actually be selling any snakes myself because I'm going to be selling my other business venture, which is going to be isopod related. So just come by and see me and you'll see it. But I will have snakes at my booth because our buddy April is coming to her very first Herp show and she's going to bring some snakes to vend at my table. Uh, not she's, what? No, not, well, she, she may have one. I don't know. But she does, she, <laughs> she does, she does, well, she does bloods. So. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Her uh, animals are mint. Like, oh, yeah. Oh man, I. She's, she lives in Memphis, so. Oh, segue to that right there. So I'm just saying, if if there happens to be a herp show that ever makes its way into the Memphis area, could be coming very soon. Could be coming very very soon. So, but oh, one thing. Okay, so moving from YouTube onto basically social media, Morph Market. I love Morph Market. I, I'm addicted. I check it like 15 times a day, maybe more. Uh, not that I can buy anything right now because I don't have any snakes to sell and make money to buy anything new. <laughs> but uh, they had put out a uh, a post the other day about a complaint that they got from a customer. And normally you think, oh, the complaint from the customer, it's going to be a really bad situation for whoever the breeder was. But the complaint was that after having the snake for a month, it died. And the customer was upset. And, and the person that sold it, well, he, here was what the story was. They sold the snake. It was an adult uh, ball python to a guy, uh, and they shipped it to Texas. The guy lived in California. They shipped it to Texas, and so it lived with this guy's friend for two weeks in Texas, not in the best conditions, whatever that guy had it set up as. Then the guy finally moved to Texas, and he got it for two weeks, and then it dies. And it's a thousand dollar snake. So the guy, uh, the breeder who sent him the snake, said, "Look, he asked for pictures. They didn't send him pictures. He wanted proof. So look, this is what I'll do." I'll give you $500 credit. It's half the price of the snake. $500 credit towards a new snake. And I read that thinking, well, that's way more than I would do because after a month of having the snake, it's your snake. I, I mean, I know there's a lot of breeders like, yeah, I would have done this or that, but I'm like, ah, but a month's a long time. You're able to screw up a bunch of stuff in a month and, and not be my fault when it dies. Yeah. Uh, and so just reading that, I was like, that's insane. And you had talked earlier about having refunding this or that for folks. So that's usually if something dies like the next day or a couple days later, not a month. Not a month. Um, in that situation, with the it, it, honestly, if that situation would happen to me, I would have required a necropsy proof of, of it being actually dead, and I want to know exactly what happened with it because something my collection and died a month later, and it was something related to my collection. I want to know as a breeder. Yeah. Um, but as as a consumer, they shouldn't even expect. That breeder, that's where education comes in. I mean, you never know what happens when that animal leaves your care. If you're, if you're, especially an adult ball python, it's not like it's not a, 
it's made into adulthood all fine. You know, it's not like it's a hatchling or something. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's thriving. Obviously, it's probably a good weight and everything else. So more than likely, it stayed in a cold, damp area way too long. Got an RI or something, developed something, and it wasn't taken care of. And they didn't go get vet care whenever they probably needed to. That's another education thing. So for even the vendor to come up and say, "I'll give you five hundred dollars credit," that's way above. And and what that is is that's a, that's a vendor being smart. Because they know that if they at least take care of this situation, other people will see that they're they're willing to work with them, and that person may end up buying more snakes from them. Yeah. Does really that? You know what I'm saying? So that that's smart. But again, it has to be a calculated business move. If the guy's just doing it because he didn't, they haven't seen proof of it. That's hard. It's hard to trust people, man. Yeah. Especially with the money. So I, I saw that. And I thought that was interesting. And if, and if nobody ever goes to Morph Market, if if you got like time to kill, you can really get lost in Morph Market. Uh, um, Sean, did guess, you? Go ahead. Uh, I was I was just gonna ask, did you um when you had when your collection was at its most, did you sell a lot of your animals on Morph Market, or was it at the shows? Where that was before market didn't exist. I didn't know how. Yeah, see, I wasn't sure. Well, we did shows, but we had gecko forums. There were there were forums. Um. That's when King Snake and Fauna were really legitimate. Like they were, that's where people, and we had geckoforums.net that Kelly Hammock started. And then that shows some Facebook stuff, you know, we would sell here and there uh, in some of the groups, but that was our, our main thing. We, we focused on winning the shows and, and putting people actually touching the animals. Yeah. Carly, back in, in the stone age, we had these things called forums. Yeah, and, what and, that? And, and you would post, and then you'd have to scroll all the yeah. way down to find it again. You know, what? I thought I met a lot of people in this industry way back. Like Lone Star Reptile Syndicate Forum was. I still have a shirt from there somewhere. That's what I met Chase. That's how I met Chase Baker. He was like twelve or thirteen on the forum talking about how he wanted to get into boas and stuff. And we're like, ah, this snot nosed kid doesn't know what he's doing. And that was so. Um, but then I realized he lived like, you know, 30 minutes from me and, uh, we've become really good friends now. But I mean, I, I'm a lot of, everybody used those forums. And the funny thing is, since Facebook's cracked down on, on sales, you know what that's done? That's increased show traffic. People are actually going to reptile shows to physically see the animal in person before they purchase it. And that's good. Insane. Yeah. Good. Shows have actually gotten a lot better, um, and I, I'm not I mean that not saying that's what the reasoning is behind it, but we have seen an increase in that that traffic that people aren't buying on because people can't sell stuff. They can go to Morph Market or whatever, but everybody wants to go to Facebook, and that's where our target demographic reside when we do targeted marketing. So they're coming to shows. They have to come to shows, and it took me it took me a long time to buy animal online. I could really trust who I was talking to, um, and you know, I've I've bought some from the biggest breeders in the United States for leopard geckos. And I've bought some crazy other animals from people recently, you know, from, but, but I always look into that or research it, you know? So. Yeah. I, uh, I've I never mean, really been an online person to the last couple of years when I got back into Samboas, but I've made sure that everybody I've bought from is a name. Like I, I, I've heard enough about them. I know I've talked to people about them. Um, I, I much prefer buying animals at a show. But again, not everything you want to buy is going to be in a show. And a lot of times people have already sold it before they ever been the first show. Yeah. So sometimes you have to. We just got to jump on it. All right, Carly, it's your time to pull some weight. What do you got for this week? Got it. 
let's see. Well, <laughs> are we jumping to live podcasts then? Because that sounds good. Go ahead. Um, do you listen to Squawmates then? Do either of you the Squawmates podcast? I used to. Uh, I know it's aimed more at. It's different. It's a different kind of podcast. It's three guys, and it's not so much hobbyists. It's definitely more aimed Academy. at academics. Yeah, it's it's got a herpetological highlights kind of jive going on to it. I really enjoy it because I I really want to try to be present in both the hobby side and the academic side because they both interest me but it's they both sides are pretty intimidating to me because there's a lot of people that I I, I look up to on either side that like myself I, I mean you look up to me I mean I, but you're six seven so <laughs> that's natural that's um but, sli- slightly giving me some credit but sure I'm six seven I play in the NBA <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, the, so the Squadmates, the guys at the Squadmates podcast just put out another episode after not putting one out for three months, and it was a good one. And then the guys got Herpetological Highlights put well, out an episode. Well, were there any, give me any highlights about the Squadmates podcast? Yeah, I have to go, listen. Go, I have to go listen? <laughs> yeah. That's messed up. <laughs> I'll talk about the Herpetological Highlights one. Okay, um, go ahead. They did, they touched on a paper about crocodilian locomotion and um they talked about crocodiles galloping and it is it will make your day to see a crocodile like attempt to gallop like a horse and have, they, have, have you ever looked up cuban crocs galloping look up look up cuban crocs and the way they, they move they don't gallop they teleport they are fast <laughs> and they don't move like any other crocodilian yeah. does my ears i'm getting contacts these glasses are Fucking my shit up with how, these. How, how do you go from my ear and then say you need contacts? Well, because okay, so my my um. Those are called headphones. No, no glasses. glasses thank there you. we go. My glasses. Thanks for, <laughs> we're playing charades. In case anybody's listening, we were playing charades. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> but my glasses, like this part, whatever this is called, the is, arm. Thank you. It's it's feels it hurts my ear hole thing. When, what am I looking at? Proving you're strong. What am I looking at? Your ear hole wrong. Your glasses should not your ear hole. Cuban crocodile. They 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 do this whole like they gallop, but it's weird. They don't. They like jump forward. It's mm-hmm. okay. Watch uh-huh. a video so everybody can enjoy listening to Carly watch a video about Cuban crocs. Which seems like a weird thing to do on a <laughs> audio podcast. Yes, uh, are going back and forth, just staring at multiple things on the screen. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. Look at our windows now. It's, it's like she's watching a game of tennis. Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me share screen. As Carly learns how to use the internet, <laughs> oh, we're going to share the screen now. Okay, so okay. now the two, the two of us can see what Carly's looking at, but none of you can. <laughs> well, which one? This one doesn't. This is riveting podcast right here. <laughs> well, I want I, you guys. I want I you guys watch to watch search Google. Yeah, I, I want you guys to watch it with me. Um. Ooh, good graphics. Are we, are y'all this, there's some good graphics here. It's a crocodile swimming in water, which is what you would expect in a video about crocodiles. Guys, I don't think this one has a Cuban croc running in it. Well, then it's a letdown. Yeah, wrong video. I just I just looked up, you know what, I'll look it up later. You're making me feel like a big, dumb bitch. <laughs> feel like a big, dumb bitch. <laughs> okay. Oh, but yes, Cuban oh. crocs. Look them up. They, they don't run the way any other crocodile or alligator. They're super fast. 
they lunge. That's the yeah. best way. Fast. Yeah. fast. It's like a fast lunge kind of thing. The, the, the front legs get into it, and they push off at the back. It's yeah. it's really cool to watch. It, yeah. It's crazy. You'll have to look at it. You'll have to watch it later. Do, do they do that, like, because, you know, when, like, Crocs walk, they do that, like, like their one half. Like, no. Okay. They, they don't do that whole, like, serpentine look that, like, alligators and crocodiles normally no, do. I think it's a it's a flea thing for them when they're running like really startled or something like that. It's it's totally different, like you said though. It's kind of crazy. You guys need to, um, dude. It might be on the Cuban crocodile <laughs> the study that they they were talking about in herpetological. But that podcast is amazing because those guys are hilarious and uh, they break down these. I for me, I I like herpetological highlights a little bit more than squamates because. Herpetological highlights, they really break it down for people like me who I'm not as well versed because, um, James, you, you have experience in the zoological field and I don't. So sometimes it's a little bit tougher for me to keep up and I try my, try my dang darndest to, to understand. But, um, um, I like squamates. Um, but yeah. This- so basically what Carly is saying for everybody is that if you're a little slower, Herpetological <laughs> highlights may be the podcast for you. You want to feel just a little bit less dumb. <laughs> but, I don't um, know much about book learning. But yeah, they're both really awesome, uh, awesome podcasts, and they were good ones this past week. I enjoyed uh, the From the Ground Up podcast for our, our buddies Joe and Melissa just because they had, uh, I'm sure, to Melissa's disdain. Disdain. They had. <laughs> It was Isopods 101 with Russ Wilson from Aquaramax Pets, which I didn't know about him until their podcast. I love Russ. His content is great. I, uh, I've really gotten into Isopods lately, as I kind of hinted earlier. And if you listen to it, it's really informative. And the great part is, you know, the whole time listening to it, that it's really grossing out Melissa because they have legs <laughs> and Melissa hates legs. Yeah. I think she was talking, she won, um, I think she saw the. That adult hissing cockroach. Uh, I think that's the one that freaked her out the most. That we talked about it. Well, we got to a Tinley was the first time she held a tarantula, and we oh. got to watch that in person. And she froze. I mean, at that point, you pretty much could have done anything to her. She completely froze. I'm, I'm an arachnophobe. I own a tarantula. Really? Yeah, yeah. She's um, under curly hair. She's about eight years old now, I believe. Who's Dexy? My friends get her out when they come over, but I don't get her out at all. I, so I'm not the right folk. I like sliders. My hands right now are sweating talking about it. Well, see, I don't tend to hold them, though, because here's the problem I have. Unlike holding, a, say, an angry snake, I know the part of a snake that can bite me, and I can keep it away from me. Yep. But if I'm holding a tarantula, the part that can bite me is on me. Like, it's right there. Yeah. And at any second, it can change its mind. And I like and, 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 and those spider people right now are going, yeah, but it won't. I yeah. get that, but it yeah. could. No, and I've been bitten so many times by snakes that it's not even, like, I can't even tell you how many, and all different angles, and, you know, but like you said, the tarantula, so you know where the business is on the tarantula, you know exactly if it decides to, where it hurt. With a snake, you don't, I just, I was eight years old, in that same age range, running through the woods in South Texas and hit one of the golden orb weavers <laughs> and a spiders. Yeah. The zigzag nest, the whole nine yards, right square in the face, right through the woods, squished it on my face. My cousin's laughing at me on the ground, rolled up in its in its web, 
that, you know, screaming like a little girl, like screaming and he's laughing. That's where it came from. Now I've gotten I've gotten more used to like this Honduran curly hair was a friend of mine who was a breeder, Ben Quintana. Um, he actually is isopods.com. He's in Thailand, right? He moved to Thailand to do isopods. Um, he was next to me, been in a show, and, and we've known each other forever. And he hands me this little tarantula, and he puts it on my hand. And I start sweating like I am right now. And it's teeny. And I'm like, well, this is actually pretty cool. I'll, I'll take this home. Well, she's, you know, she's huge now. She's, she's, a good, she's a good four inches or so um, across. It, but calm as can be. I could go take her out if I wanted to. I just don't want to. Fuck that. Like, <laughs> And got everything webbed up. I feed her and water her. And like I said, my friends come over and we'll get her out every once in a while. But no, she's good. She's cool. She's pretty. I enjoy the beauty of them. I think they're fascinating, like the ornamentals and the cobalts. I love those. And I, if I see a spider drop down from my headrest, now I don't wreck my car on purpose to catch it on fire. Like I'll catch the little jumping spiders and let them out of my car and things like that. But no, uh those girl birds. Nah, I have nightmares about those things. I do love jumping spiders, and I, I there was a video somewhere. I don't know where the spider's from, but it's a jumping spider like about the size of a quarter. And I was like, "That's my pet spider. If I could have one, I want a giant jumping spider." Yeah, there, uh, James. Remember, like, I think it was it was before Tinley when I was obsessed with tarantulas for like a month. Maybe just a couple of weeks. Do you remember that? Or was it mostly because we have our group chat and then we have a group chat where uh, it just started. It, it was me, Ryan, Joe, and Melissa. And I couldn't remember if it was. I mean, it, it may have been before me before it got better and I joined. And now Ryan just added me in another group chat. And I'm just like, I can't, can't keep track of all you guys. But, um, but yeah, tarantulas are incredible. Um, yeah. They're just yeah. not my. Yeah. I can respect them for what they are, but nope. So that's a, that's a long way of saying go listen to the podcast and hear Melissa be afraid of things with legs. She keeps calling them insects and bugs, and, and that. I, and I know it's going to drive isopod people crazy because yeah. they're crustaceans, but. Uh, um. Do you have a keeper tip at all? Or? I do have a keeper tip. Actually, I have, I, I have two things. One is my keeper tip, and then one actually goes back to YouTube. But my first keeper tip is Sam's Club or Costco, wherever you live. If you're not a member, uh, become friends with someone who's a member because paper towels. If there's one thing as a reptile owner that you go through the most, it's paper towels. And you can buy them in bulk there. And I do it every paycheck, every month. That I, I cannot under 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 explain <laughs> how important it is to get lots of paper towels. So that was kind of my, I know it's not much of a keeper tip, but that's kind of my keeper tip. I know people are going paper towels. If you don't, that means you don't have enough reptiles. If you have, if you have a lot, you go through a lot of paper towels. Um, and then my other one was YouTube related because I did watch. I watched the snake discovery video today. Uh, where Emily went to the Dollar Tree to find hides. Uh, and there was some pretty cool ones. There was like a, a cheap toolbox that closes and latches shut. They cut a hole inside the toolbox. They filled it with, uh, like sphagnum moss and it became a humidity hide that you're able to lock shut and put in there. So if, if aesthetics is not your thing, you don't care about how it looks. Snake, snake doesn't. Snake will <laughs> hide in anything. 
I mean, there were multiple types of bowls that they got there and other things they got. It's a great video on kind of how to how to have reptiles on a budget. And again, if, if you're not trying to go for this naturalistic uh, enclosure, go to the Dollar Tree. There's a lot of awesome stuff at a Dollar Tree that you can get for reptile hobby. Uh, Dollar General, Home Depot, and Lowe's were my reptile stores when I was. Oh yeah. Kid. I used this the Ziploc sandwich containers for all my moist hides. Here's here's a tip for you. You want to do that route? Styrofoam bowls, like the styrofoam bowls, like cheap styrofoam bowls, perfect hides. You cut a little door on them and stick them on your hot hide, and they work perfectly for for people in rack systems, especially for like gecko species, small gecko species, even colubrids, even small colubrids. Just styrofoam bowls in bulk, and cut a little door in the side of it, flip it over, and there's your hide. And it's they're they're disposable. You throw them away. Uh, they make paper bowls if you want to be more environmentally conscious about it. Do the paper bowl anyway. They last longer but instead of having to scrub every single dish especially when you're dealing with large numbers like that it would take you a whole day to clean every dish and hide and everything so we do it that way um and brown listerine plain brown listerine is the easiest way to clean sanitize and disinfect any enclosure because it is antibacterial antimicrobial and it's actually non-toxic to any of the reptiles that we keep in captivity. So instead of using chlorhexidine and all that stuff, we go to the dollar store and buy the big monster, like two gallon thing of brown, just plain brown Listerine and dilute it 75 to 25 with water. And that's what we use. That's in my spray bottles right now in my reptile room. Cleans glass, cleans everything. I just use that. That was actually the first cleaning solution I ever got. Like those big bottles, especially if you only had like, three, four animals like me, like I just used the last of it. That lasted me like forever. Um, and, uh, but I just used the last of it and switched to chlorhexidine because I cannot stand that smell. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's I think it's infused. I think I'm nose blind to it because I've used it so much. Yeah. It helps treat like mouth rot in boas especially too. Does it really? You can spray it directly into the boas on the, on the boas mouth rot or if they have sores. Any snake or reptile with a sore in their mouth, it's completely non-toxic to them, so it disinfects it. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah, I started using chlorhexidine uh, this past year. I, I, for the longest time, it was leech and water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, that's uh, you go through so many spray bottles, it eats right through spray bottle seals. Yep. Uh, and then I bought a giant jug of chlorhexidine, and that stuff will last forever. But the reason I went with that over some other stuff was because of how safe everybody says it is. I mean, that stuff, like... If you're spraying out water bowls and scrubbing water bowls clean using chlorhexidine and some of it stays in there, the animal won't be injured by it. Same thing with Listerine. Yeah. 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 So that was my whole purpose. I know there's some other cleaners out there that are, are really good, but I was always, my fear was, uh, I don't want anything that's going to hurt my snakes. And so yeah. Listerine, that's an awesome, I mean, plus on a budget, that's yep. going to get cheaper than that. Exactly. What was, did you have a keeper tip, Carly? I did not. And I didn't have a wild card. Um, you, you mean you didn't have a wild card like snake farts? So I'm going to... James? Oh, so we have... That was episode four. We brought it back up and nobody didn't hear about it. Stop! Just, just let so, me die. No, we're bringing it back up. So I know everybody, if you listen to episode three... You know, you, everybody knows that one person that takes this joke and just runs with it. Just Carly? runs. You're the one that brought it up the first time, and I'm just going to keep reminding you because I feel it's important to remind you that your wild card on episode three was that you missed your snake's farts. 
<laughs> You're embarrassing me in front of our friend. Yeah, that's good. So uh, we did get we did get uh, a lot of links and videos, but they were all more snake sharks. Oh yeah, than snake farts. Uh, I have a really cool animal of the week. Um, I'm sure it, it's <laughs> but, a good one. Well, since you, since you didn't have a wild card, I just want to make sure to remind people of the last wild card she had. What's snake farts? He has so much dirt on me. Like he he could oh, ruin my. I'm I'm still going to tell people at some point. Oh. Carly's amazing tattoo idea. It's I, coming. I'll wait till like an anniversary episode. It'll be a big reveal. But she had yeah. a. Uh, I think that's why he doesn't drink around us when we're out partying and stuff, because he's usually the one still there till 3 o'clock in the morning, sitting on a bucket with us, or in a chair, around a pool somewhere, listening to all our crazy stories. I think he's just, like, keeping that for later, maybe. I have no shame. He's been to my shows. I have no shame, so I don't really care either way. The best was the last Conroe, where we're outside the hotel, and this dude and his wife and his, uh, I guess, sister, whatever. Wedding party. They came back from a wedding. And Sean offers the guy or the chick a drink, and she says yes. And then they stand out there and drink with us for the next like hour and a half, listening yep. to reptile stories. Yep. They never. Uh, I think they were hungover, but yeah, we they opened up our cooler and let them hang out in front of the hotel with us and drink. It was fun. They got oh. to hear about how Nine Finger Sean became Nine Finger Sean. Oh yeah, the Asian forest cobra. Yep. I have ten. My this, friend Sean this, has. This, this, like, this is ten. Fin- this is ten finger Sean. Did you see my face? I was like. <laughs> She's like, hold your finger. Got to count again. Okay, yeah. <laughs> can you put it on hands and toes for me? <laughs> oh, can I? Do you want me to do animal of the week? Because I am ready. My body's ready. ready. I, yeah. I do want to just because nobody got to hear episode five or four. I do want to jump back to your animal of the week of last week, which was the uh, the pig ant eater. It was an aardvark. Yeah, it was. If a pig fucked an ant eater, you get an aardvark. And he's, he see he makes one joke that's a killer, and then he just like he's like, "Hey, no one heard my good joke." I, <laughs> I have to bring it up. It was a good joke, but it no, they, if no one knows what an ant ear looks, I mean, uh, aardvark looks like, because not everybody knows what an aardvark looks like. Imagine they are big. Imagine an ant eater that looks like a pig, and that was her animal of the week. It was a very interesting animal of the week. They're much bigger; they're like a hundred pounds, right? Uh, like seven, uh, it was like seventy to hundred pounds. Uh, I think it was. So the the largest one ever recorded was one eighty, but typically they're within that's a that huge. That's a yeah. huge aardvark. Typically they're between like the hundred to one hundred and twenty ish pounds. And multiple so- sources said different things, but that's what most of them said. Um, yeah, they're fascinating animals, but this one is a good one. This All right, so one, what is what is your animal of the week this week? Camels. <laughs> Wait, are, are, we, are we talking about like their toes? <laughs> you would know, James. Oh, well, they have no. they're, they're, they have toes. Camels have toes. You're gonna. They don't, I, they don't have a hoof. I swear to God, every viewer that we or listener that we get, they yeah, probably hey. just like turn right around. <laughs> hey, it's free. They'll get over it. Okay. All right. Camels are amazing. They are an even-toed amulet, and there are two types. Uh, everyone knows the one-humped camel and the two-humped. Um, the one-humped are referred to as dro- dromedary, and the two-humped are back. Um, I've actually never heard this one before, so I think it's either Bactrian or Bactrian. Bactrian. I didn't know if this... Yeah. So their humps... I mean, I'm sure most people know that their humps store fat, not water, to allow them to survive 
in the shitty ass harsh environment. In the research, I like I wrote, I was just like this shitty ass harsh environment where they're found. Um, let's see. Okay, I could not find uh why they are one humped or why there are one humped or two humped camels. Do you guys know like why are there? I'm just imagining it's different evolutionary patterns. Yeah, because there are camels in North America too at one time. Yeah, I I think I, it's, it's evolutionary disparity between the two species. Same reason we have zebras and horses. I mean, like they're yeah, they're very similar, but different. They just okay. They just they just are. <laughs> um, let's see. So I was I was looking up why there are one or two humped camels and. Um, I also was wondering if they can hybridize. Uh, so I guess where was I? Okay, they can mate successfully. And you get a one. Not, you get a one and a half hump camel. No, they're typically two humps. You get three humps. Three, the old three hump camel. <laughs> three hump. Three humps. They they typically have two humps. Um, so uh, they have that third. Huh? What? I so said then that's the dominant gene then. So they have humps whenever they breed. That <laughs> that's the dominant gene. So that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're huh. they're, they're uh, see, the more I, humping the better. I love God. You are such a child. <laughs> what? I haven't said anything wrong. You, you researched camels. Uh, you researched humping. What? And then you researched you know camel toes. I'm sure that came up. James, you are you are a giant child, and I love you for it, though. I love you, buddy. Um, so they have a third clear eyelid um, and long lashes to protect them from the sand. I, I wrote sand and shit. <laughs> okay, who's throwing shit in their face? <laughs> oh, there's there's a couple really interesting facts coming up, though. They can shut their nostrils during sandstorms. Uh, their bodies are designed to rehydrate faster than any other mammal and they can drink 30 gallons of water in a little over 10 minutes a funny note on oh this is my favorite one a funny note on camel behavior is they're very social creatures and they uh greet each other by blowing in each other's faces i guess like carly if you ever greet me by blowing in my face we will no longer be friends i was gonna say i'm gonna come up to you and just that that will be the end of this podcast we were like, why the podcast in? Harley Quinn and James. What, what did you say, Sean? I'm going to go uh, next weekend. I'm going to walk up to James and just like blow gently on his ear. Yes. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm no. not responsible for what happens no. afterwards. <laughs> Katie wouldn't be mad at me if I blowed on her face. Just saying. Whoa. Oh, okay. Camel toes and blowing. All right. So. But isn't, that, isn't that weird though? Like That is weird. I, you want to blow on somebody's face? No, it's weird. How, anyway. Wait, you're um, saying that's not weird that you want to blow on somebody's face? I just think we should all so, be a little more like camels, okay? And just, just let... Just, <laughs> just humping and blowing. Humping, of, humping and blowing. Sean, I don't know you as well. Are you like... Is, is it, are you? He's offended. He's very offended right now. No! I'm just you, you have upset I'm Sean hard. by talking about humping and blowing. I'm worse than James in most, most of the time. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, no, trust me. There's nothing you can't say anything that can offend me. Or I, like I told him, he knows I have no shame either. So, uh, you're I'm right in the right company right now. Well, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna ask, like, what's it like when you two get together? Um, because yeah, oh god, it's we we all have fun together. That's what's funny. We all kind of 
we all kind of click. Everybody has their own little things, but James has been able to hang out and see us get completely obliterated after days, and still is a trooper just to hang out with us and and see us. So it's fun. I'm telling so, you, now, it is very hard to vend a show on like three hours of sleep. Yep. So I have a couple more really cool demo facts, but I wanted to ask now that I'm thinking about of it. If I were to come down for a herb show, which one would you say I should come to? Conroe. Conroe for sure. Okay. I'm going to make it happen next year. Before we I'm started. Gonna... It's an amazing show. I got a, um, I got a little, I got a little raise at work. Okay. So, uh, I can, <laughs> I can, um, budget three reptile, uh, events a year. And I, next year, I definitely want to go to a herpeton. And then I want to go to a Daytona show. Maybe I have to decide either Daytona or Tinley. If there's another academic event, then I might replace one of those with that. With that. But okay, cool. Anyway. So you, you, you come during the, the summer. Uh, Conroe, and then you'll fly in where we are, and we'll drive over together. Let's do it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, we're gonna make it happen. But don't you dare fucking blow on my face. <laughs> I'm doing that this weekend. I'm doing that this weekend. I'm gonna do it all this weekend. Like every time I see you and I, you, I, you lose your focus, I'm gonna walk up and blow on your face. And I can tell you now, it, Bourbon Street's gonna get very annoying quickly. Like. Very, because I'm gonna tell everybody to blow on your face too. <laughs> Just make sure that Katie knows why I'm blown in your face. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, oh, I have. Oh, yes, I remember now. I ended this on a really positive note. Um, to end on a feel-good fact: camels are in trouble, and camels are wild. Camels are one of the most endangered large mammals, according to um, an article I found that was published a couple, uh, just two years ago. I couldn't really find anything super recent and now watch someone's gonna message us be like hey the paper came out yesterday okay so, so <laughs> where where are camels found where natively where are camels found uh northern africa and eight so i believe the one dromed dromedary, dromedary. I are like northern africa and then the bactrian bactrian mm-hmm. are in asia correct yeah yeah but but do you know that there is a wild population outside of that native range? I do now. Where is that? In the Middle East, right? No, there's a native population in Australia. Is it really? Yeah. Is, I don't know. Are they one or two humped? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the dromedaries. Okay. I may have to look it up, but I'm almost, I'm like 95% positive. Cool. Camels in Australia. More positive um, camels in Australia. I'm going to... Yeah. The Australian feral camel. <laughs> feral camels. Feral camels. Yeah, um, like more about like feral cats. Yeah, you wake up and you hear your trash cans banging together and you just keep them stuck. Like, ah, what are you doing? I'm holding your face and shit. Well, <laughs> you go, spitting all over you. Yeah. You go up and you make that noise to shoo the cats when you just <laughs> and like the the camels go go running. So, um, according to the most accurate source on the internet, Wikipedia. Uh, there are two species in Australia. Mostly they're dromedaries, but there are some Bactrian camels oh, cool. in, in Australia. Camels are so cool, though. Like, camels, I didn't write this fact down. I just remember it. I think, I 
Okay, I, now I'm second guessing myself. I'm just Did you have say, a dream about camels? See, Sean, I have fever dreams, and I can't remember if they're actually like backed it up. But I think camels—they're fucking fast. They can run like 40 miles an hour. Yes, they can hoof it. They can hoof it. Now they can just train the Australian camels to step on cane toads. Yes. Yeah. Now we're getting somewhere. Um. Okay. The wild camel. I apologize for that heinous, heinous noise I just made with my mouthful. The Wild Camel Protection Foundation states. It's not the worst thing she does with her mouthful. <laughs> I'm gonna hurt you. <laughs> the Wild Camel Protection Foundation states that there are fewer than 1,000 wild camels. Um, obviously, we have camels in captivity because they're very useful for natives. But the population of camels in captivity is also under threat from inbreeding and hybridization, which doesn't help. Huh? Yeah, it doesn't help. So the crazy part about that, as I'm reading again from this very uh, trustworthy Wikipedia, (laughs) is it says they estimate more than one million Australian camels. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Maybe, see, I... But but that's not not technically in their native range. So in their native range... That's not... Indigenous number that's actually a feral population. Yeah, here's another one that says 1.2 million from another website. Crazy, I need to do more research. You're gonna do more research on camels? I need to, yeah, they're so interesting. Just make sure you uh search camel toe. (laughs) But talking about being more camels in Australia than in their native range, then Texas, there's more tigers in Texas than there are in the wild. Another weird ass animal fact. Big cat lock here, kind of crazy. Yeah. You can own um, whatever you want. If you got the coin. Um, but no. that, Is that, that it? Yeah, sorry. I'm just writing. Hang on. I need, sucks. I need, wait, what'd you say? I want a bush baby and I can't own one. McKinney. What's a bush baby? Oh, wait, wait. I know. Those are uh, arboreal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're arboreal little. Uh, There's little primates. Yeah. Like, like parse ears and all. Oh, like the turtles. But they're like a kangaroo primate. primate. Yeah, they're, they're not as ugly as a tarsier. They're, they're not. They're like, like a cross between a a slorus, a chinchilla, and a kangaroo. Like, I guess it's the best. They've kind of. Slorus. They've kind of got like eye eye eyes. Yes. Yeah. An eye eye. Without yeah. a giant eye eye finger. Creepy ass eye eye finger. Okay, um, that's all I have. That's all you have. Yeah. Okay, so hopefully this all recorded well, and if it's recorded well, everybody's listening to this right now, <laughs> and we appreciate that. I, Thank, I, you, Sean. Thank you so much for coming oh. on for uh, two and a half hours. Oh, it's fine. I'm about to piss myself, but yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've been- well, Carly leaves every episode saying she has to pee, so I'm sure she has to go too. I do. Not, <laughs> not every episode, but out of the five episodes that we've had now. Yeah, like, like, yeah. Where's dinner? Where's dinner? So, Sean, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? What's your cell number? I'm going to have them call you. <laughs> um, the best way is just go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash show and messages there. Lori and I both check those messages. Um, we we kind of share that duty. Uh, you can go to herpshow.net. When he, when he says share, he pretty much means Lori. No, I feel actually, like every, actually, I handle most of the messages. That really? Come every reply comes from Lori. No. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I'm cold, huh? 
no, um, we try to we try to share those duties. If I'm driving, she answers them. If we're at a hotel or something, I'll answer them. Um, but then you can go to herpshow.net and email us at info at herpshow.net. So y'all getting a new website soon, right? It's I mean, seriously, she emailed me. I have to do my Google API thing for my Google Maps and um, do the PayPal integration, and we should launch hopefully this week. Yeah, it looks awesome. I saw the test site. Yeah, it looks really good. They did a great job. It looks awesome. So if, if you're wondering if there's a if you're in Louisiana, Oklahoma, Missouri, Texas, Colorado, or any of the states around there, and you're wondering to post the first show to you. Yep. Way to go, Carly, on coughing up a lung there. <laughs> but if you're wondering the closest Herb Show to you, go to herbshow.net. And click um, on show dates. Yeah, click show dates. It's got all the show dates for this year and next year, right? And we're booked through 2021, yep. Oh, nice. Uh, they're, I, I'm telling you right now, if you've been to other reptile shows, um, outside of, say, like, even, I, even if you've been to, like, Tinley or Daytona, the big ones, this is going to be a different environment. But if you've been to some of the ones where you are disappointed, this will not be one. This this will change your view on reptile shows. Uh, they are far better quality, and there's about a million of them. It, the amazing part is how many you have a year, and yet you're still able to keep the quality at what it is. Yeah. And that's that goes to the vendors, honestly. The vendors understand what we're trying to do. They're on board with us, and we just have to maintain and keep growing and get better. We keep adding new vendors. So, Well, so many of your vendors do multiple shows. So, yeah. like... It, it's crazy how, like, if you look at a vendor list, it's going to look very similar for most shows, but that doesn't mean you're going to have these same animals. There's, there's a lot of different animals. And then, like, when you get over into Slidell in New Orleans, you add a lot of those people from Mississippi and Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. And and especially like Colorado and Kansas City, it's all, oh, yeah. new, it's all new stuff. So We still have people that travel with us to every single show. We have vendors that go to every single show. No matter what, don't miss one. Yeah. The next show... Is and we've mentioned a couple times is New Orleans nice. in a week. It's March seventh and eighth. Come see me; I'll be there. Come mm-hmm. see Sean; he'll be the guy running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And the purple uh, and green. I'll have matching shoes, purple and green. All that. Come see Lori; she'll be up front selling tickets. Actually, come see my wife Katie; she'll be up front selling tickets. She's going to be helping us up front, yeah. And if you want to buy Girl Scout cookies, I'm just saying we'll have Girl Scout cookies. I got my order in. I got my order in. They will be somewhere in the area. So we <laughs> get Girl Scout cookies. Uh, but come see us. Also, Joe and Melissa from From the Ground Up uh, will be there. I think Joe will be there most of Saturday. Uh, Melissa has a prior engagement, but she should be there all day Sunday. Yep. Uh, so that'll be fun. Come see them. That's going to be their first. Well, no, they've been to Herb shows before, right, in Texas? Oh. No, they never went to one? Been. No, we had talked about, because Melissa's from New Orleans, we had talked about them coming, and just so happened that there's a wedding going on in her family that weekend, and she's like, oh, we're going to go to the show. So she messaged me and told me they were coming. I'm excited to see them, because I've never met them in person. Well, she messaged me and asked if I was busy that weekend. That's right, uh, that's right. Because they were coming to town, and she didn't want Joe to be by himself, because yeah. she wanted to see if I'd go like, to the zoo or the aquarium. And I was like, oh, i got a show that weekend. And that's when I realized, hey. Yeah. You come to the show. Yeah. So, cool come out there. It'll be awesome. It is at the Alario. What? And it's a venomous show. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't talk about. A lot of your shows are venomous shows. Yes. Whole uh, new ball of wax with those, but we've got a good we've got a good group of vendors that do those shows. So there's some really cool stuff you can see on those on the venomous tables. You'll you'll know they're usually all grouped together and they have 
all the lids are taped shut and it's done very well. It doesn't seem like a flea market where you're afraid that somebody's going to walk out holding, literally holding a cobra. Uh, they can't it, do that. They can't, leave the, they can't leave the venue without an escort. Yeah. Um, it's at the Alario Center. Mm-hmm. Yep, in West Wego. In West Wego. So, it, New, New Orleans. It's like 15 minutes from, like, 20 minutes from, like, downtown New Orleans. It's close enough to go to Bourbon Street Saturday. Yep. So, all right. I will let you get out of here. Let's go ahead. Uh, thank you for listening. If you want to get a hold of us, email us at the reptile gumbo podcast at gmail.com. And again, uh, Carly's waiting your cloaca picks. Oh so my anybody, God. Anybody that wants to send her those cloaca picks, she wants you to slide into her DMs or in her email and just give her some of those cloaca picks. I'm about, uh, I'm about to pop off. <laughs> she's, she's upset because she hasn't been getting enough cloaca picks. You know, she's got to get her. Get her fix. And so no. you could email us there. You can see us on uh, Instagram at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram or on Facebook at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. And if someone's co host would post more pictures, you'd see more pictures on there. But just saying. So thank you for making it through episode five. We apologize. There was no episode four. Uh, I honestly blame Carly. Uh, I feel everybody else should. If you see her, tell her it's her fault. So. Thanks for making this far, and we will hopefully see you, talk to you next week. We haven't figured out the schedule because I'm going to be at a show next weekend, and Carly has a job with insane hours. But we will find a way to get a podcast out to you. And so. um, yeah, thank you for listening, and thank you again, Sean. And hopefully, we'll yeah. uh, we'll meet uh, in person. Yeah, we will. We thank will. you guys for having me. All right. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.